Welcome to Zon N Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. Uh, I have two guests joining me today. Uh, first is, uh, returning to the show is, uh, Jeff Thu. Jeff, can you just, uh, just, uh, give a quick intro to yourself? Hey, everybody. I'm Jeff Thu, professional shitbag from the YouTube channel Mother's Basement. Uh, I don't actually live in my mother's basement. That's a lie. Um, I am here today with my lovely girlfriend, Yazzie. Hi. <laughs> um, that's me. I am Yazzie. I am a cosplayer. That's, that's basically all I do with my time. Yeah. And Jeff, Jeff no longer lives in his mother's basement. He all lives in his girlfriend's apartment. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, so this episode uh, is another retrospective on a series with significant cultural, uh, you know, history or impact in Canada. And this time it is Dragon Ball, uh, slash Dragon Ball Z, slash Dragon Ball GT, all that stuff, all here in one go. Um, and specifically, we're talking about the Canadian Dragon Ball experience. And I, I do need to acknowledge right off the bat that uh, the Canadian Dragon Ball experience is apparently nowhere near as interesting as the Mexican Dragon Ball experience, where thousands of people gather in the streets to watch government-sanctioned live streams of uh, the final battle in Dragon Ball Super. And uh, then apparently strip clubs also promise to uh, offer free lap dances if Goku wins against Jiren. I haven't seen all of Dragon Ball Super, so I don't know how that actually went. So no one spoil it for me, please. But uh, yeah, the Canadian Dragon Ball experience, it's more like excessively long delays uh, in episodes airing on TV, and uh, nine different voice actors for Goku, and uh, inferior theme songs uh, overall. Except <clears throat> except Dragon Ball GT. That one was... Uh... That, that one wasn't too bad. That that one was a banger. Here, I also want to point out. I don't. I don't know how you guys feel personally. I still kind of maintain that shows like Sailor Moon and Inuyasha. I think we're a little more intertwined and influential with like the the Canadian anime fandom we see now. Whereas DBZ, it was probably a show that pulled in better ratings. But it, like Pokemon, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a phenomenon into itself. I don't know how you guys feel about that or how closely it it, it ties into everything compared to those other shows. I mean, from a VancouverCon perspective, I think that um, there was a pretty heavy Dragon Ball presence at every convention that I went mm -hmm. to. That's because I mean, that's in part because uh, one of the main guys from Team Four Star, uh, Takahata One Hundred One, lives in the Vancouver area, so mm -hmm. they went to a lot of cons around here, and that tended to increase the attention that Dragon Ball got there. Um, and but, I mean all those other, all those other voice actors who <laughs> were in the early uh, the early dubs as well. Yeah, the Ocean dub yeah. was ar around here, yeah. so it was just really easy to get Dragon Ball guests to cons. Um, but I I would also say that that like as far as what my friends were talking about when I was a kid, um, Dragon Ball was as popular as Sailor Moon um, mm. in terms of what people talked about. What would you say, Yazzie? Um. I was pretty alone with my Dragon Ballness, which is funny because Pokemon was extremely popular, Digimon was extremely popular, but they just kind of skipped over to Yu-Gi-Oh from there. Mm. You know what I mean? And that was everyone's like new thing. It went from Pokemon and Digimon to Yu-Gi-Oh, and they just kind of skipped even looking at Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Z. Um, but in things like conventions, we had the same kind of experience that they were uh, like popular in that thing because YTV is located in Toronto. <laughs> Uh, uh, so they would go to things like Anime North and push their big shows like yeah. Dragon Ball and stuff. So, And YTV really did push Dragon Ball a lot. Yeah. Um, they had entire full-day marathons of it at yeah. some points. Um, yeah. Just out of nowhere, they'd have, they'd have full-zone um, marathons of it. Yeah. And they'd premiere lot... the movies, too. Mm -hmm. 
Sorry, we're we're getting ahead in <laughs> now our history. Just, okay. now I, I felt I felt a lot of the time YTU was like scrambling to keep up with the U.S. phenomenon of, mm-hmm. of, of DBZ. That that's what the the franchise as a whole always always kind of felt like to me. But like Yazzie, it was I think DBZ was always a bit more of a, a personal thing for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe my perspective on it skewed just because like I had a lot of friends who really liked it. Um, and that... I have I have distinct memories of begging people to play Budokai with me, even though they had <laughs> no idea what was going on. I was like, please, I just need someone to play with. You know, I'm like, it's just a, a game where you punch each other. Please play it with me. Yeah. No oh, one liked I, Dragon Ball. I do want to take this opportunity to point out that um in the Jap in the Japanese version of the show, it is supposed to be Dragon Ball Z, not Dragon Ball oh. Z. Uh. And you completely hear them saying Zeto all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, huh. Unlike with Mazinger Z, though, um, it's just too culturally ingrained for me to fight at this point. So I'm just, yeah. I've just accepted it. I will call it Dragon Ball Z. Even though we're all Canadian and we really should, why don't we just all call it Dragon Ball Z for no. the rest of the podcast to annoy everybody who's listening to uh, it? You'll be annoying me. Well, as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, you're in, you're influential enough that you could do that in all your videos, and maybe you would have an impact. Um, You'll just hear a distant bind of me hitting him every time. (laughs) Dragon Ball Z. Um, So would would either of you, I have a bit of an outline written here, but would either of you be interested in just kind of summarizing Dragon Ball in a nutshell? Uh, Okay, Uh, so Dragon Ball is about this uh, little boy uh, who hit his head as a child and decided not to destroy the whole world. Um, I'm missing some stuff. So he's, uh, he's got a tail. He had a tail. Yeah. So it, it started as just a story about like a, a little mountain boy whose, uh, grandfather died, um, meeting up with a, uh, spoiled rich girl, spoiled rich Bulma. girl who yeah. named Bulma, who's going on an adventure, uh, to find the seven dragon balls, which Grant wishes. Uh, and it's basically journey to the West with a fun spin on it. Um, and then, uh, over the course of many years and many, 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 many dollars being funneled into Akira Toriyama's bank account, it slowly shifted from that to intergalactic professional wrestling. And fighting against intergalactic real estate speculators. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Who, who transform into cool wrestling costumes for their, their fights. Um, but I mean, like... It is. Ba- it does basically become pro wrestling. I feel yeah, like pretty much. And there's some androids, and Boo shows up and kills everyone. But everyone is brought back to life because death is meaningless at that point in the series. Because they've um, got seven balls that Grant wishes, and it's yeah, just actually, like actually there's yeah and there are these dynamic ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, these can only bring someone back to life once. Ah, uh, that's a little too harsh. Let's make another set of Dragon Balls that can just bring them back as many times as, as we need to, but they have to go to space to do the, it. The, se- the seven Dragon Balls, which are supposed to be the central part of the series, because that's what the the series is named after, uh, the, you gather the seven Dragon Balls, it summons the dragon Shenron, and he grants you one wish. It was originally supposed to be any wish. As he stated himself, no wish is too great for, for Shenron, but then we, <laughs> we soon realized there were uh, a number of asterisks beside that. Many wishes uh, are too great for Shenron. Yes. Um, but, okay, so the the other way that I could summarize uh, Dragon Ball is, is how I think most of us experienced it as a TV uh, show, which is a, a guy 
on a floating cloud, goes to a beach party with a bunch of people we don't know, and then a caveman from outer space shows up, murders a hillbilly, and steals his son, and then he dies, and uh, has to be resurrected because more space cavemen are coming to destroy the Earth and take their magic balls. Because we had no idea what was going on in the plot of Dragon Ball when the first episode aired. It just aired the the middle of the story with Raditz showing up. Oh yeah, you're talking yeah. About... yeah. I you mean, if you're, if you're if you're old like me, you would have caught the the BLT uh, Funimation like 1995 dub of mm-hmm. Dragon Ball. So at least you, you you know who Bulma is. At least you understand you know kind of vaguely who Goku is. Like you you don't there's certain things you don't understand when you jump in. Like why does Goku no longer have a tail? And, and who uh, the fuck is like Piccolo? who's this who's this Piccolo guy that is on the tip of everyone's tongue? Who yeah. who's this cat? And why does he sound like Harvey Firestein? Like, <laughs> stuff stuff like that. Like I just mentioned, that that dub is how I first got into uh, into Dragon Ball, the the Funimation BLT dub. Uh, it was one of my favorite shows growing up. Um, like absolutely. Uh, and you know, knowing having that that gap between that really old Dragon Ball dub and Dragon Ball Z, which came a few years later, is one of the big things that fueled my personal interest in anime as a whole. How did you guys each get into the series originally? I remember I was watching, like, Pokemon and a bunch of other stuff on The Zone, um, and they were talking about this new show that they were premiering that was, like, a big deal, which was, was Dragon Ball Z, and they had been hyping it up for... Months and months and months and months. Um, and then finally they did the premiere, uh, and I saw that first episode, or the, the first two episodes, cause they aired them back to back, um, where, uh, Raditz shows up and then he fights Goku and Piccolo and Piccolo kills Goku, um, which is like a really big, big deal in terms of the overall Dragon Ball storyline. But for me it was the inciting incident, so I was like, and then, um, I mean, the main character dying in like at the beginning of the show is a that's a it's that's disarming a, to say the least. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I, so to me, like Gohan was kind of the protagonist from the beginning, um, and then it. So I I watched a few episodes of that, and then I I was able to watch it on and off, um, and then my mom decided that it was too violent and I shouldn't watch it. So I wasn't able to watch it for a couple uh years, but I would keep tuning in when I had when I when she wasn't paying attention. Um so I caught bits and pieces of the Frieza fight and then I slowly pieced it together by watching different airings and and stuff like that over over a long period of time to know the whole story. Um yeah, mine was similar-ish. I mean, I'm a year younger than Jeff, so it kind of makes sense that I uh I started watching Pokémon and then it, it because it was airing before Pokemon, I just happened upon it um, in like the beginning or the the middle ish of the Frieza saga, and like one episode, and I was like, "This is the coolest thing I've ever seen." I'm coming back early tomorrow, and then I was like set on it from there. Uh, but the worst part about being a Canadian and trying to watch it was the fact that YTV would run out of episodes, so they'd just go back to the beginning. And yep. you'd have to watch it all over again. Ah, uh, yeah, I remember so, that. <laughs> you'd get like three quarters this... of the way through the Frieza saga, and they'd be like, oh shit, we don't have any more episodes. 
back exactly. to the beginning and you guys got to crawl back up. Yeah. And yeah, you, you, I mean, maybe it was a season thing and I just didn't have a concept of how seasons oh, work. Well, it did. I mean, that did happen in the U.S. as well, but nowhere near as much as it did here because the delays kept happening even after the production had moved to Texas mm-hmm. uh, for, for reasons I'll get into in a bit. The uh, there was always big delays in YTV being able to get the episodes. They were always months behind the U.S. Mm. as a result. And it kind of snowballed into some, some interesting uh, in, in, interesting developments. Yeah. I, that, that was did, the that, overall YTV experience for everything, though. Yeah, was stuff was behind and, like... Yeah. I, I remember watching Inuyasha and they, like, and they reset, reset Inuyasha, like, 50 times. Yeah. But it was helpful... You know, for people to jump in, yeah. Or for if you missed episodes. You yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I was able to jump in in the middle, and, you know, yeah. two months later, I was I was watching Raditz, and I knew what was going on suddenly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was, like, watching... Like, I missed episodes all the time, but then I'd catch them during the reruns. So I, like, watched Dragon Ball out of order. Yeah. And I... I Got the whole story, but it took me, like, three times through the airing to actually get it all. Like you mentioned, you guys never really saw the original BLT Funimation Dragon Ball dub that aired in, in, in 96. Uh, t- just to, to for the next thing, I'm going to kind of go through the background of that, and then we'll sort of go step by step through how things kind of unrolled in Canada over the years. Um, Dragon Ball, of course, began as a manga by Akira Toriyama, who had been known for Dr. Slump in 1984. Uh, Toei Animation turned it into an anime in 1986, and it was a huge success in Japan. Um, later, The second portion of the series, when Goku becomes an adult, was called Dragon Ball Z, uh, which we all call Dragon Ball Z today. Um, and at times, it, it was insanely successful. It pulled in a close to 20.0 audience share ratings uh, with some of the, I think, some of the Frieza Saga episodes, which is insane. You don't see numbers like that on any show. Uh, anymore, not even like Sazai-san pulls in numbers like that. So of course there was an attempt to localize Dragon Ball in English in the late 80s. It was actually done by Harmony Gold, uh, the company responsible for Robotech, uh, and it was a uh, a gigantic failure. Uh, it showed up in very few markets. Um, allegedly they had dubbed like 60 episodes or something, but it's like it's completely lost now. I don't know if you guys have seen any. Any any clips or any small bits of this this old Harmony Gold dub at all? I have not, but I bet that it is hilariously butchered, and I would love to watch the whole thing at some point. Yeah, it yeah I know they did a one of the movies. Uh, they split it up into episodes, and that was kind of the pilot. Uh, they call Corin uh, Whiskers the Wonder Cat, um, which is almost as good as having him have a, <laughs> have have a voice that's imitating Harvey Firestein. Um, <laughs> and but yeah, basically it was a. For some reason, Harmony Gold couldn't uh, couldn't pull off the distribution for this one as well as they did with Robotech, and it was uh, uh, shoveled off as a failure uh, for and kind of put the whole franchise on ice for a number of years. Um, but then suddenly in 1994, out of nowhere, uh, there was an interest for some reason in bringing Japanese properties to U.S. syndicated television, um, and a lot of that attention was going to Toei's other big property, Sailor Moon. It's not entirely clear why... Uh, this interest popped up at this particular time. But I'm willing to bet that it had something to do with uh, Hayam Saban's success with Power Rangers in 1993. I think that may have kind of been the catalyst uh, that got kind of co- companies looking at these properties. One theory that I've heard about that that mm-hmm. I think is pretty in, uh, compelling is that um, it, it had to do with the rise of syndicated children's programming blocks. 
And a bunch of companies realized that um, they could get crazy returns by localizing anime because it's much, much cheaper than producing your own cartoon. Um, and fulfilling blocks like, like not necessarily Disney Afternoon, but everything that was competing with Disney Afternoon. Um, it was... any, any kind of extra time slot where local broadcasters were willing to put uh, some kids' content. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could fill it with syndicated content and... And, and anime was like the cheapest thing to do that with. Uh, you could, you know, you could bring it over, uh, dub it very cheap because it's, it's pretty easy to dub. I mean, it's not easy to dub anime, but the, the way lip, they did it was easy. <laughs> the lip flaps aren't specific enough yeah. so that it's, it's not, it's not nearly as expensive as something that's m- more specifically designed. And a- a- anyway, they, they, um, so it's got, it's got low overhead. Mm-hmm. There's uh, minimal investment. Kind of needed to get something off the ground, uh, and so it's like in in terms of getting a production off the ground, it's just significantly cheaper than making something from scratch. Mm-hmm. But the problem, of course, is that you're rolling the dice on how good your exposure is going to be uh, across all these different syndicated networks across the United States, um, and it all it, it kind of just takes getting a good syndication deal for something to take off. But there. are you know, oftentimes there were more failures and successes with that. So with, with Sailor Moon, uh, the other big Toei title, uh, that went to Deke. Uh, but uh, in the case of Dragon Ball, uh, nepotism is what ultimately prevailed, because uh, those rights fell into the hands of the American nephew of an executive at Toei uh, named Gen Fukunaga, uh, who had fi- financed a very small production company called Funimation in order to localize, specifically to localize this series for television. In order to actually get it made, Funimation teamed up with a company based in Vancouver for the dubbing and editing production of the first 13 episodes of the original Dragon Ball. Uh, it was not Ocean, uh, as is commonly believed. It was actually BLT Productions. Um, and that company is best known for doing the uh, prelay voice work and co-production on Reboot and many other mainframe properties. So they they played a big role in just kind of helping Gen Fukunaga and Funimation, which was like this nothing company at the point get get things uh, going and off the ground i i think they did the digital editing on the show as well i'm not sure if that was done in-house at funimation or uh, by blt but i would think that at at that point blt was probably better equipped to handle that kind of thing because one very important thing that came about with this early blt funimation dub of dragon ball is that i think it was one of the first shows to have like serious digital editing uh, put in place for, you know, just for censorship purposes. Uh, so there, we saw a little bit of it in that in Sailor Moon, but Dragon Ball is the first time we really saw that being applied to animation while it was in motion. Uh, so they were able to k- kind of keep up with that or use technology that was able to keep up with that. So a fair bit of work still went into to putting that uh, that version together. Um, did you guys ever see this particular dub at all? No. 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 In Canada, it actually it got a fair bit of exposure. We, we've heard stories about how Sailor Moon had a rough time in syndication in the U.S. Uh, it actually had nothing on these first 13 episodes of, of Dragon Ball. Funimation was only able to secure a very small, limited number of markets, and almost every single one kind of shoveled the show off at like 5.36 in the morning, where no one was going to see it. In fact, I, I, would, I would argue that in the U.S., I think only anime fans who were already aware of Dragon Ball and were actively looking for this dub were uh, likely going to be exposed to it. Um, but like with Sailor Moon, 
the series was picked up by YTV because, of course, they had a good relationship with BLT, so it was kind of inevitable that it would kind of come their way. Um, and uh, the show showed up on Saturday mornings in January of, tw- of 1996, which was a little while after the U.S., but it uh, for a solid two years, it became a bit of a fixture on their schedule, uh, despite having a low episode count of only 13, uh, 13 episodes. Uh, so, you know, another case of a show that kind of failed in U.S. syndication, but got a bit more of a life on YTV in Canada, because they were already playing that game that Toonami would get into many years later of kind of rescuing shows from uh, languishing in syndication and exposing them to a better, uh, to, to a broader, more consistent audience. So th- this early dub from PLT, in, in addition to the digital edits that were made, uh, the music was changed, and also this is where we first see Funimation doing their early practice of, like, really cranking up the contrast on the show and applying a crapload of uh, digital noise reduction to try and make it look like it's not from uh, 1986. If you look at this thing on, like, a modern screen or monitor of any kind, it's going to look like complete garbage. But, you know, back on our old fuzzy uh, fuzzy CRT TVs, it, looked, it did make it look better. Mm-hmm. But overall, uh, you know, despite the changes... Uh, despite the the visual edits and the changes in music, it it really did maintain the spirit of the original pretty well. Uh, the style and charm of Toriyama's work uh, came through, and it was completely clear to me when I watched it as a kid. It was, uh, it had like you know the simplistic character designs against with all the detailed props and backgrounds, um, a vibrant color palette made you know even more vibrant by uh, Funimation cranking up the contrast, and there's the general exotic appeal of something that at this point I could tell discernibly was Japanese because uh, I could, you know, at this point I was about nine and I could recognize anime typically. So it really had everything I was looking for, uh, everything nine-year-old me was looking for in a show. Um, and I have to point out, even with the edits, um, it was still like pretty racy compared to other cartoons at the time, uh, even with like Ren and Stimpy and Rocco's Modern Life. I mean, the first episode ends with Bulma hanging over a cliff with like pee dripping down. Uh, through, through through her skirt, and that they didn't edit that at all. So, like a lot of the scatological humor was kept in. Um, the the only thing that was really clunky overall was how they handled Roshi, because uh, you know we, we at this point I would I would assume most people are familiar with uh, the 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 whole no balls thing from episode three. Now you know Goku removes Bulma's panties and she winds up flashing Roshi at the end. Um, in in the BLT dub, it's like the whole kind of situation has changed where Roshi is just instead asking not not for a date with Bulma, but a date with an older relative of Bulma who, you know, ideally is somewhere over 18. Um, So they were (laughs) so they were being probably overly cautious with that. Yeah, that's the only thing that really came off clunky. Overall, it it, it does capture the the charm and magic of the original. And, you know, I I recognize the elements that I think I still appreciate from Dragon Ball, from that old dub. So, like, nostalgically, it's probably the segment that uh, means the most for me. Um, You guys have, I I assume you've watched through Dragon Ball. This dub covered the first 13 episodes. Do you have any opinions just on that particular portion of the show? Just that, the Pilaf saga. The Pilaf saga. I mean, I really liked it when I was when I did get to watch it, um, which was probably around the same age you watched it, around nine. But through the second dub that they did of it, mm-hmm. I mean, I I do really enjoy that story arc. They censored it a lot less in the second dub, from when I remember, because I remember uh, Master Roshi being a creeper. 
Uh, so they actually, I think, if I if I remember correctly, they moved it to a later time too. Yeah, uh, it was they, a, it was a later time slot, and the that's, more yeah, they, more of the sexual innuendo and, yeah. and content was kept I, in. With I the remember, dub, which is it's one of its biggest strengths. That was the first time my mother had expressed concern over a cartoon that I was watching. <laughs> you know, she didn't care about the fighting or anything. She was like, "That's pretty cool." Um, but I remember watching Dragon Ball, and she was like, "Yo, <laughs> you, maybe you shouldn't be watching." That. Um, uh, and my, and really, maybe she was right. <laughs> uh, really, like, my 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 like strongest experience was the Pilaf saga. I don't I didn't watch that religiously after that um, hmm. because once they ended it, they restarted it. Yeah, um, and I didn't love it enough to sit through the restart. Uh, I like I really liked it, but mm-hmm. I didn't Dragon Ball Z like it mm-hmm. there. So when they started again, I figured, oh, I'll just you know go back to watching it when it's a little farther along and then i never really did i watched it sporadically after that mm-hmm. uh, mostly because i thought yamcha was cute but um that's about it y- yeah. yamcha comes off as kind of badass for about a solid 15 minutes in his first well, well i mean he he's pretty cool it's just that yeah. his power level never scales with anybody else's so yeah. he like he was actually pretty cool in, yeah in dragon ball he's like he's the toughest character in the show for a full five minutes yeah, yeah, and then I mean, just everybody moves past him and you know eventually he's just lying on the floor yeah so for me I watched uh, the the Pilaf saga all the way through. It was on Bionics, I think, or like their pre-Bionics block, like between... Yeah, around uh, the same time. Yeah, yeah, just before 8 o'clock. And I remember watching that at dinner. I really liked it because it had the charm of Dragon Ball that Dragon Ball Z had, but it also had like a sort of adventurous atmosphere to it that reminded me a lot of other shows I was watching that I really liked, like uh, Rupert... And I, I was a big fan of, like, the, the Tintin stories and stuff like that. So that sort of, like, globetrotting adventure thing was something I really liked and that I kind of miss in later parts. Um, it's really the only segment of the sh- of the series that's like that. It's the only mm-hmm. arc where they put any value and intrigue into the Dragon Balls themselves and finding the Dragon Balls. And, like, that's an aspect of the world instead of just transporting there at the speed of light. You know? and, and each yeah. part's its own story. I... They yeah, let us have let us have Mr. Popo go this tr- transport himself and find every Dragon Ball because this is an emergency. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean we're we're at it where like collecting all of the Dragon Balls is like the inciting incident of half the movies now. Yeah, um, just like oh, we got all of them. Uh, yeah, I do definitely miss that like I don't know that aspect of like the the actually having to work for the Dragon Balls that they had. They yeah. they kind of brought it back in GT a little bit, um, but uh, GT had other problems. They went a little that, too hard with that. Well, yeah. look at the GT. <laughs> um, but but yeah, no, I, I like that. Like each each episode, they were going to a different location, and they had these villains who they were were battling against, who were like recurring, and also there would be usually like a villain of the week of some kind. So that kind of reminded me of the the. Uh, Team Rocket dynamic from Pokemon, which I always found fun. And then, you know, it got to the end, and I obviously knew at that point, because I'd watched Dragon Ball Z, uh, what was going on with, with Goku's tail. But, uh, that moment was, was, was really cool. The whole finale was a really fun thing to watch for me. And I was into it enough that I, uh, waited for them to get through, and then I watched the Android saga that they played afterwards. 
Um, and I, I watched, I think, straight up to the world tournament before the repetitions really started to get to me and I had to yeah. like, bow out. But that's, that's a later dub that we watched. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I, I guess I'm, I'm a rare experience where, um, I saw Dragon Ball before I even knew what Dragon Ball Z was. It's something I would learn about over the next couple of years. Um, but like, I didn't, I didn't know Goku was a Saiyan. I didn't know what the, the deal with his tail was or the significance of him turning into a giant ape, or, or anything. It was all, like, I, I it, it was just all really surprising and um, and unexplainable to me, as it was intended, you know, at the time that it was written. Uh, w- one thing I really love about the Pilaf arc is that it, it actually has a lot of filler, but the filler is great. Pilaf, Mai, and Shu, uh, they don't appear until, like, late in Volume 2 in the manga. Like, when they actually get to Pilaf's castle, that is when those characters are introduced. But here they're actually, like, worked into all the early chapters, and they have their own little side plots, and they kind of flesh each one out. And it, I think it's really effective. They really round out the, the plots, add a different dimension to it. And it's a good early example of how, really, a good chunk of the franchise of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, uh, at least for the first part, of, the first little bit of Dragon Ball Z anyway, it's really improved by the filler that Toei added uh, mm-hmm. to the manga. You know, I, I would argue that right up until the end of the Saiyan arc, uh, I think that Dragon Ball is generally better when it when when it's viewed with the filler. Um, Fre- Frieza arc <laughs> level uh, filler is a bit of a different story, though. But I think in those... Um, in those early days. I'm a little maybe biased because all of my favorite stuff that happens in the franchise is filler. <laughs> um, <laughs> like all of my favorite all-time episodes are are filler episodes like the driving episode. Oh yeah. Um, That's a, I no, think everyone was in the manga. Was it? Yeah. yeah the, no, I didn't know it was that. a it was a title page in the oh, manga. They turned God. it into a whole story. Well yeah, so but... some of yeah, some of my like all-time favorite stuff was yeah. that stuff. So <laughs> I have yeah. bad opinions well, on fillers, so. Yeah. So, overall, this the, this old dub got pretty good coverage on YTV at the time, though. It was it ran through all of 1996 uh, to most of 97, I believe. Um, and there there was a toy line apparently for this show that uh, guaranteed never made it to at least stores near me because I absolutely would have seen those toys and known about them but this line of toys even had like krillin and launch figures as well so you know they were really anticipating that this original version of dragon ball was gonna was gonna take off um but again it just wound up being another show that failed in u.s syndication but 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 despite being you know fairly successful on ytv that just you know canadian market wasn't valued enough to keep it going so production ended after the after the first 13 episodes and Maybe that toy line never actually came out. There's a an ad for it I found on YouTube, but uh, that that really disappointed me as a kid because um, in the in the coming months I would come to discover because uh, I knew that this show was going to continue and I would learn in the coming months all about it because I had friends at school who were from Hong Kong and some from South Korea and like they had backpacks and stationery and all this other merchandise from Dragon Ball Z which clearly depicted Goku as an adult with all these other characters who were looked absolutely fascinating, uh, for sure. And it was through them that I learned, like, vague information on what happened later in the series. Like, Goku is an alien, and uh, he, he just, just the, uh, uh, the other villains he would face and, and everything. And I was it was neat to learn that stuff, but I had absolutely resigned uh, myself to the belief that, you know, this was it for Dragon Ball in English. I would never get to... F- 
I would never see this fabled Dragon Ball Z that was uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I saw in all this merchandise that these other kids had. Meanwhile, despite the fact that uh, DB was basically a failure, uh, again, Fukunaga was not going to give up. Um, a decision was made not only to jump ahead in production to drag the more popular Dragon Ball Z segment, uh, but again negotiated a whole new syndication deal uh, with none other than the man behind uh, the U.S. Power Rangers, Hayam Saban, and began airing in significantly more markets in the United States beginning in late 1996. So, you know, this old Dragon Ball dub was still airing on YTV when this was showing up in the U.S. Um, and the number of markets actually increased through the next year. Um, unlike the BLT Dragon Ball and Sailor Moon, this Saban version of Dragon Ball Z actually managed to score some good time slots and was fairly successful. In fact, it was the first season was 26 episodes. It was successful enough uh, to get um, a, a second season, which told, totaled to 65. Um, and it also got a renewed marketing push. And that's how I discovered that there was some activity going on with this uh, title back in early 97. Uh, I noticed the toys were showing up. And uh, all these amazing characters that spanned the entire series were, like, you know, on store shelves. And I could see them all listed there, including Mr. Savage, who is a uh, uh, version of Mr. Satan that we, we never got to see. Because they went with, of course, Hercule <laughs> in, the, in, in, in all of the English dubs, uh, which is something I never understood. Yeah, it's... it's... Such a dumb piece of censorship, I think, just in general. To I can I can understand it. I mean, you got to you, you have to cater to the like the mid the Midwest in the U.S. to some degree. But um, Mister Satan sounds like a wrestling name. It, it does, yeah. I I think that it's one of those things where if I think they had kept it uncensored in the dub, I don't think that anyone at, I don't think that it would have been even remotely problematic for YTV. I don't think they would have any issue with it. But it's just you got to address that you know, Midwest audience in the U.S. ultimately. And that's mm. why they made that decision. Um, and apparently they still they still call him... It bugs the hell out of me. They still call him Hercule in the, the, the Dragon Ball Super manga that Viz is putting out right now. Actually, it drives me up the wall that they went with Hercule in the manga at all. Because uh, it, it had been pretty, like, accurately... And uh, it, it had been accurately translated up to that point. But when they got to Hercule, it was this... It was at this point where they're just like, oh, let's try to sync things up with uh, with what the kids are seeing on TV. And you saw similar changes in, like, the Yu-Gi-Oh! comic and, and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I don't know, I, that, that bugs the hell out of me. But anyway, I also I also saw, like, a VHS of the first few episodes of Dragon Ball Z showing up at Electronics Boutique. And I didn't even know what to make of that. I was just like, how how is this possible? Is this just in Japanese with no translation? Why are they selling this? There couldn't possibly be an English version of Dragon Ball Z. Within a few weeks, I saw a listing for it on KVOS, which is a local broadcaster out of uh, Bellingham, Washington. And I tuned in. I didn't know what to expect. And there it was, this fabled Dragon Ball Z, which I now knew as Dragon Ball Z, uh, as it would forever forward be known. And I watched it for the first time in that run, which I don't think even covered the entirety of uh, the first 26-episode season. Production was actually moved away from BLT. It did... The voice work was done in Vancouver, but they had moved it to Ocean Productions uh, through Saban. Um, they retained basically the entire voice cast from that uh, original Dragon Ball dub. Uh, but more importantly, it retained two writers uh, who worked on that original localization, Ian James Corlett and Peter Kalamis, um, who some of you might immediately identify as the first two English voice actors for, for adult Goku. And 
From what I can tell, they were really the vital bit of continuity between those two dubs. And I actually strongly suspect that they were the reason that those productions turned out as good as it did. Um, so I know that these uh, these early Ocean syndicated episodes were, were kind of what you guys each first discovered. What do you guys think of this portion of this, of this dub, of this portion of the series? Uh, so um, I really enjoyed watching it. Um... I like that part of the story a lot. Um, the Saiyan Saga, I, I'm kind of weird. I, I've got a lot of nostalgia for the Saiyan Saga, maybe because it played on Canadian TV so many times on repeat before we got any other episodes. Um, so I, I've got a lot of affection for uh, the battle with Vegeta and all of Gohan's training, um, Goku's journey through Snake Way, all of that stuff. Uh, God, the, Snake Way felt like it went on forever because they kept replaying yeah. it so many times. Yeah. Like every time you'd miss a few episodes, you'd turn it back on. And, and he's back Snake on Snake Way. I, I yeah, think that's yeah. appropriate, though. That's, that, that's one yeah. reason why the, like, it's better with the filler, because you get a real... You really feel how long Snake Way was, which didn't come across in the manga or in, in Kai as much. Yeah, I just hear Snake Way and I have war flashbacks <laughs> to how long it took to get through it. The Snake Bathhouse was such a, a like unique and, and cool episode. Um I don't know. I, I yeah, they they did have like a lot of pretty decent filler in that part of the story. Um and Goku, Gohan yeah, makes I, friends I, with the dinosaur, the dinosaur gets killed. And like they and they, they didn't That was fucked that up. That was one of the that one instances so where they kept death up. in too. That was like mm-hmm. that was brutal, or I thought it was brutal when I was a kid, at least. Yeah. It was. Yeah, it was no, pretty brutal. I thought it was yeah. like the saddest thing in the yeah. world. Mostly because I was uh, also attached to like the cute characters and stuff. So and, I was, and you I, love lizards, yeah, just so in general. I, I am a crazy mm-hmm. lizard lady. Um, so I I took that especially hard. I was like, this this is the saddest thing I've ever seen. But yeah, I. I... I think it was like a really good dub, and I do distinctly remember when I tuned back in later. I was like, "All these voices are different. It's kind of weird." Yeah, when they yeah, when they switched you to Texas. Quite put your yeah. finger on it because you were a kid. And you, you like, you know, you're like, maybe I'm just remembering wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I find overall that like these Saban episodes, I think as an adaptation of the original, it is very poor, um, largely because you know, famously, they try to remove the concept of death. For the first few episodes, they keep it in. Like, Goku dies. They make that very clear. Mm-hmm. Raditz, they, like, they don't show his dead body. They imply that there's a dead body on the ground, though. Trying to, like, move away from the concept of death and instead shoehorn in this idea of sending people to the next dimension. Like, not just saying that you die and then go to another world, but you are literally using this laser beam to send someone to a different dimension rather than to kill them. Um, trying to remove the concept of death from a show where the central focus is death and resurrection, I, I think that ruins the whole thing, uh, really. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really does. Um, and of course, compared to Dragon Ball, there was uh, an enormous amount of digital editing, and this is the, f- the first time where we, where we were seeing episodes actually being edited together. I think it was like 83 episodes edited down to 65 or something. It was crazy. It was they they cut so much out mm-hmm. and they left in so much they still left in so much of the filler because again that content was worth keeping in a lot of the time but also because that content probably didn't need as much censorship generally yeah also it's it's worth noting that there were some things that they they were more okay with in the original dragon ball than they were in dbz like pretty much every shot of goku's butt was kept in 
with like the the BLT <laughs> that old BLT dub. In fact, I think there is like there's more Goku like kid Goku ass in that than any other like televised censored adaptation to follow <laughs> for sure. But they were more strict about that kind of thing in, in this version. There were way more you know very crude looking digital rocks ready to uh, to to block um, or to uh, block the poor children from seeing other children's genitals and 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 and, and butts and stuff. Um, but I, I would say that you know, despite all these edits, I would argue that as a dubbing, like English dubbing production, it is very solid. Uh, the voices are distinct, they're memorable, they're well directed. The script really feels, um, I think, as strong as it could have been under the constraints they were under, the the constraints the Ocean Team were under when they when they were putting it together. And the it's ultimately a very polished product. And, and it actually almost distracts you from how many of the story details you're actually missing because most of the audience hasn't seen the original Dragon Ball. I do get the feeling that, you know, especially because so much of the same team worked on it, they tried their best to make it kind of work as a sequel to the original DB, but there's just too many details. Like, Goku can fly now. Like, how, how, why can Goku fly? Like, you, you just accept it. <laughs> you ultimately just have to get thrown into the middle of things and hope that you'll you'll get things figured out as you go along but the, one of the big questions is now keep, keep in mind uh this dbz at this point in time where you know i'm trying to keep a timeline here it's futile really but we're, we're at like late 96 early 1997 mid 1997 this hasn't shown up on canadian tv yet it's only if you are fortunate enough to be um near a u.s broadcaster that has the syndication rights to it this is the only way you could have seen it in canada so the big question is, why didn't YTV pick up Dragon Ball Z as a sequel to Dragon Ball after, you know, that show had been fairly successful? Uh, it's hard to say exactly why, but it seems that um, a different broadcaster had instead picked up the rights, and it was Teletoon. Uh, Teletoon didn't actually launch until late 1997, though. So my theory is that they had actually just been sitting on the rights for the first portion of that year, as soon as they became available. Uh, YTV was also involved in Teletoon at the, at the beginning, so the, huh. the thing about the Saban Dragon Ball Z dub uh, is that even as incredibly edited as it was, the show was still way more violent than pretty much any other cartoon you would find uh, on TV at that time. Like, significantly more. Even even with the concept of death taken out. Um, it, it really... It's, it's kind of brutal. I, I um, Or maybe not brutal, but... It's it, it definitely seems really intense. I felt that way when I watched it as a kid. Uh, it seemed edgy to me. And I was actually kind of shocked when I found out it had been uh, edited at all. Uh, because uh, I'll tell you, HFIL totally fooled me. I didn't know it was hell. <laughs> uh, that, I, that's, like, iconic, I feel like, the, the HFIL. Yeah. I mean, they... They could have just erased the letters off of their shirts entirely, too. Uh, let, let, mm -hmm. let's, let's keep that in mind. But yeah, so Teletoon did get the rights to it. And, you know, it's possible that YTV turned, like, turned it down because it came off as just being so much more violent than its predecessor. And, it, like, tone-wise, it's very different, too. They, even though the violence is edited in that, um, in that version, they, they really labor to make it seem more aggressive than it actually is a lot of the time. So I think that's maybe why the decision was to put it on Teletoon, because Teletoon, of course, when they launched, um, four like, they had an adult block uh, four years be before Cartoon Network even thought of doing something like that. But the problem with, you know, innovating in the area of having an adult block is that you kind of have to reach for content. And a lot of the time you're going to put in kids' content that, you know, kind of seems like maybe adults will like this. 
Uh, but we're just really putting this here because we don't have enough actual adult content to run. And Dragon Ball Z was one of those shows. Um, Teletoon shunted it away at 11.30 p.m. Uh, in their adult block. And uh, to make it even worse, they didn't even license the whole first season. They only got 13 episodes. Uh, and they ran them into the ground uh, well into 1999. It's a bit of a missed opportunity there. Dragon Ball Z could have taken off in Canada a few years before it did, but it just kind of got mistreated by Teletoon. It was a, a big mistake. Interesting thing to note about this version that ran on Teletoon, though, uh, is that uh, at this point, I think we're, we're all familiar with the Canadian theme song of Dragon Ball Z. Uh, that was that always aired on YTV and in the markets that received uh, the, the later Ocean dub. The version mm-hmm. that ran on Teletoon, it had rock, the U.S. Rock the Dragon theme as well as the Saban bumpers that aired... Um, huh. Uh, in its in all of its U.S. broadcasts, so they license this from Saban. That, that's one thing that really separates it from you know the when Dragon Ball Z became popular uh, a couple of years later. So, like I mentioned, unlike the uh, like other syndicated anime we saw, DBZ was actually fairly successful. But unfortunately, the project still died uh, because Saban decided to exit the syndication market and uh, move their focus exclusively to Fox Kids sometime in 1998. But it wasn't long before Funimation found a new partner uh, in the U.S., which was Cartoon Network. And it also was about the same time that Teletoon's rights expired. At this time, it, it became an overnight success in the U.S., and uh, YTV finally had an opportunity to follow that trend. And uh, here is where one really crucial development happened. Um, YTV got the syndicated episodes, uh, these old Saban episodes, directly from Ocean Productions instead of Funimation. Uh, because Saban, they couldn't get it from Saban anymore because they were... They were out of the picture. And it's important to keep in mind that Funimation was like a real shoestring operation at this point. Probably more than you think. Um, so without a partner like Saban, they didn't have the distribution channels, or really any distribution channels to speak of, in Canada. Really until they were purchased by Navarre in 2005. Like, you couldn't even find their DVDs or anything up here until then. And it's also worth noting that most of the episodes distributed by Ocean had that, you know, infamous Canadian theme song which was composed in-house by Ocean. It actually has three credited lyricists, which is appalling. It's still a mystery why the show was made. It's probably, like, I- I'm guessing the masters that Funimation sent to Ocean probably just didn't have the theme song or something, and they had to make something in-house, or they wanted to be able to make royalties off of it, because the whole reason that the music was changed in Dragon Ball Z was to make royalties off of the music. That's a trick that, again, Fukunaga le- probably learned from Haim Saban. I, I, sh- I show- actually showed that uh, Canadian opening at a con once during my uh, Canada Anime Bizarro Wonderland panel, and one guy shouted out, Everyone thought I was crazy, but it's real! <laughs> and that was a the 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 dragon yeah, dragon yeah. ball. <laughs> it's like it's like you're watching TV from another dimension if you haven't seen it before. Like when I first heard people like talking about Rock the Dragon over and over again, and I think Rock the Dragon appeared in one of the Budokai yeah, games. Yeah, too. it was the opening for the games. Yeah, so I was like, that's not the opening to Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, I was the wrong one. <laughs> okay, but I didn't know that until like. Five years ago. That's when I found out there was. I was talking to someone about. I I like 
the Canadian opening. Mm-hmm. Like, I like it in like a nostalgic way. Uh, the guitar is really like yeah, dragon, um, dragon ball. Um, it's and just... I was trying to talk to someone about it, and they had no idea what I was talking about. And I was like, we had different openings. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was that was actually like five years ago. That's not very. It, the guitar riff is definitely cooler. The yeah, I I love Rock the Dragon. I I think it it might just be my own nostalgia feeling that but I, I i like that one a lot better than the the ocean one uh for sure <laughs> um the texas dub funimation had to resume production asap because it had become this big hit on cartoon network to save time and production costs they actually did not send it to uh ocean studios again they started their own studio in texas uh which would become chris sabat's okratron 5000 studio and recasted everyone in a move that would fundamentally changed the anime industry or localization industry in ways that we could not have predicted at that time. Um, this version was most notable because it was substantially less edited than the episodes before. And also the episodes were more in sync with the Japanese version. And also there was blood, uh, which was kind of shocking to see on a, on a cartoon at that time. And it's also something that Cartoon Network did not allow on other shows. They made, they seem to make an exception for Dragon Ball Z um, on this. So I'm, I'm curious, what, what do you guys feel about? How do you guys feel about these early fun, like these early Texas dubbed episodes that kind of started showing up in um, in YTV's schedule uh, as they were showing after they had finally gotten through those syndicated episodes? Well, I definitely thought the voice changes were mm-hmm. weird. Yeah, like like I I was like that's this is different, and I couldn't put my finger on why at the time. <laughs> um, yeah, I completely didn't notice that there was a, di- a difference, really. Like, I, like, in the back of my mind, might have noticed the voices, but I didn't, because I was only, like, seven or eight, I didn't notice any difference in the actual, like, content. Mm-hmm. Or I guess I would be, like, nine or ten, yeah. But I didn't really notice that kind of thing, because I wasn't paying attention to that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Huh. Yeah, I, 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 and I mean, as far as the episodes go, I... I guess I did notice that it got, it felt like a little more violent and intense. But I just figured that's how the show progressed, you know? Yeah. I guess I started to notice yeah. again around the Frieza thing, you know, I'd be like, that's just how it goes. It just gets cooler. I think, I think that does highlight that they weren't fooling anyone with the way they, they tried to cover up death in the early episodes as well. Mm-hmm. Like, the other dimension yeah, yeah. thing. I, I, like, I just, you know, when I, when I watched that, I was like, oh, they're dying. Yeah. Um, and, oh man, that, it's interesting because that sounds so dumb, and yet when I talk about Yu-Gi-Oh, the Shadow Realm it just makes sense. That's like cooler than killing people, I think, trapping them in a hell dimension forever. It's be- it's, that was that was better thought out, really. It's important to note that even when the production shifted over to Texas, um, YTV was still receiving the episodes from Ocean Productions. Uh, they had essentially become the distributor for Dragon Ball Z in Canada. Uh, YTV was not dealing with Funimation directly. In fact, they would not deal with Funimation directly ever until 2005 when they licensed Full Metal Alchemist and Case Closed. I know there's a misconception around that some, there was some kind of dispute going on between Funimation and um, YTV um, at the at that time that was resulting in it taking a really long time for episodes to get delivered to them. Uh, that is completely false. I have actually... I've actually received confirmation of that from John Rooney, who was the director of programming at YTV at that time, that it is completely false because they were just dealing with, with Ocean, and any delay that happened was be, was due to basically having a middleman 
uh, dealing with everything. Mm-hmm. And again, Funimation is a shoestring production or a shoestring operation. International distribution was not their forte at all. Um, without like a, another party helping them, without like a Saban or someone, they were their focus was specifically in the U.S. Um, and it's interesting you look at them today. They keep talking about trying to do their like expand internationally and do streaming internationally to the same level that say Crunchyroll does. They still can't pull it off. Um, they're still like way behind the other companies when it comes to having an actual international presence. So scale back to 1999 and think of where where they would have been at that point. Um, they they could get merchandise up in Canada, but it, in terms of delivering content wasn't happening they needed someone to help them out and that's why ocean kept their fingers firmly in this dragon ball pie uh for a while and one interesting thing that happened um i wasn't able to get any more information on why this happened but ocean actually made some additional edits to those early texas episodes um apparently for ytv because uh some scenes were edited out in later airings uh like burger getting his neck stomped in by vegeta uh, which is something that really took me off guard when I saw it on YTV for the first time. That was edited out in later airings. And apparently these these additional edits were done by Ocean. Not clear if it was at the behest of YTV. Again, we don't really know. So they were definitely very active um, in as in their role as a distributor here. Um, and that would uh, factor in a little later when we got into the production of the alternate uh, dub that was um, done by Ocean. Um, before we move on to that, I'm just curious, because um, we're this is the portion of the series we're on, the Frieza saga up until the early Cell saga. We got all the Texas-dubbed episodes for that um, on YTV at that time. That's also The end of the Frieza saga also marks when the show moved to a later time slot, to uh, 8 p.m. on, like, Tuesdays or something, and they ran two episodes a week instead of... Um, five episodes a week, again, because it took them a long time to get their hands on the episodes. Um, lo- just looking at the show itself, what do you guys think of just the Frieza saga in general, the episodes that this dub covered? As a child, it felt like it took forever. As a, yeah. as a child? It felt, like, it felt like it took forever? I mean, you know you know what I mean? Like, as a child, it felt like it literally took a year. Yeah. It, I, might, it might have that one. It might, it might have literally. In, in Japan, it took, like, three years. I See, I remember the moment that I understood that narrative time is complete made-up bullshit was, the planet Namek will be destroyed in five minutes. Eight hours later, still fighting, cracks start appearing on the surface. It's like, now you've got two minutes left, Goku. Oh, boy. (laughs) I read the manga recently. I, 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 on the new Shonen Jump app. Highly recommended, by the way, if you're not subscribing to that already. You can read all of Dragon Ball uh, from beginning to end. That's that's the best way oh to God, experience it, really. Um, but in the manga, the five-minute thing, it was just an offhanded remark that Frieza made. Like, it was act- I, like, I don't think he actually literally meant that the planet was going to be destroyed in five minutes, but the anime ran with it and made it even worse by the fact that it took about 20 episodes. <laughs> Like they, they they took that as gospel, and it's and it's kind of hilarious to to watch it because you have scenes where they're recapping what has like literally characters in context are recapping what has happened over the past minute and a half to start on an episode. <laughs> and I remember like at one point where King Kai is saying, you know, the five minutes are almost up <laughs> after recapping what has happened over the last several episodes when Frieza first said this would take five minutes. I think there was self-awareness in that, though. Let's like, let's be honest. 
To a certain extent. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the Frieza saga was, was like, the worst point for filler for the Toei side of the production, right? Um, where they were running up to literally one chapter behind yep. for most of the run. Um, so they, they had to f- adapt a chapter and episode and pad that out with, uh, with like flashbacks and stuff Made like that. Made up stuff that wouldn't actually alter where they were going. Yeah. And, and it's the hardest arc to insert filler into because it's basically, just just a bunch of straight fights that are all interconnected in one location with the fate of an entire world in the balance. There's no time for faffing about, but they have to constantly do random bullshit. And and it's just such an so, unappealing setting too. It's like Planet Navic is so bland looking, which may that, that may have been due oh to the God. show's budget and Toei just being totally cheap. Zero shits about Namek as a yeah. as a planet. When he was like, "I'm gonna blow it up," I was like, "Good." <laughs> yeah, like, like, I don't care about it. Yeah, I mean, you I, know, I, like I do. The, as long as the, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't. I was a kid, so I wasn't thinking of people. But no, I I, I kind of agree with like. Now I kind of understand the the budget constraints behind it, but like Namek feels super empty yeah. and devoid of life. Yeah. Um, like yeah, it's, it's like a, a giant desert that has one building yeah. every. I can keep in mind, presumably the entire planet is like that. Like this is an entire planet. Planets are big. Like yeah. we we lose we, we lose sight of that. <laughs> We're only on like. <laughs> yeah, on yeah. Planet. It's 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 an entire planet the size of Earth and. And they've got a space-faring civilization, and yet they all live in tiny villages of, like, five or six houses uh, that, that are... That aren't even houses. Mil- They're just, yeah. like, rock igloos. Right? Yeah, the pods. Yeah. yeah. And and it's weird that there are, like, no big cities on Namek or anything like that. They just like didn't that. bother thinking, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, I need to read the manga, but I assume yeah, maybe. that there's a lot less, you know, fighting in random locations and just just flying over large stretches of water. It was impossible to tell what on Namek was, like, a lake and what was supposed to be an in ocean. In the comic, it's all pretty abstract. So you're not, <laughs> you're not questioning this stuff as much. Um, I, I will say that I think, I think that Dragon Ball is, like, I think it's, it is it is one of the greatest adventure stories ever told, and I think that every negative thing, every negative criticism you ever hear about Dragon Ball or ever or like any negative opinion, it is always exclusively actually just about filler during the the Namek saga, because yeah, like that's what they're that's what people that. are actually talking about, and I agree with that sentiment. Like, um, I think that Dragon Ball is better with the filler consistently up until the Freezer Saga. The, the second they go to fake Namek, it's just like, fuck that shit. Just, just fuck. I, I forgot. <laughs> I like blocked that out of my memory. Fake Namek. Yeah, God, fake Namek. God, the space trip to Namek was the most like... Oh. Yeah, it is the, yeah, I'm that, like I'm. I really blocked that whole trip out of my. I forgot that that was part of how long it was. It was so boring. God, it was so boring. But they, they had to do something yeah. there yeah. because like... like they, they took Krillin with them, and they had nothing they could like do with him to make him interesting. And Goku's whole story on that on his trip was just like working out in a in a gym um, for. I mean, I the trip the trip was like I think shorter in the context of the manga story, but like 
it felt like like they were in space for years. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't even count that when I, I said the Nelmic saga lasted, or the, the Frieza saga lasted a really long time. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't the, even thinking yeah, about yeah. that. The trip to Nomic feels like a different story, and fake Nomic is like the nadir yeah. of that it's whole thing. Real. It's just like, we've landed on Nomic, and then, oh boy, we're going to go on adventures I, to find the Dragon Ball. I think Balls. that is the actual nadir of the entire series. That is, that is the. I mean, at least like Garlic Jr., you can skip that. But you have, with fake navigation, it's just shoehorned right in there, like, when important stuff is Mm -hmm. supposed to be happening. I think it is entirely possible that, you know, I will watch through the whole Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z anime again sometime before I die. But even if I do, like, I am am going Kai when I watch... The, the, the You're skipping fake Namek, yeah. yeah. Like, like even Garlic Jr. is not that bad. That's yeah. at least like how 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 does the cast handle fighting a villain without Goku? There mm-hmm. um, is kind of an interesting question. Um, it also creates the problem. It also creates the uh, interesting situation where they introduce uh, Krillin's girlfriend Marin, uh, and then later on, it also his daughter is named Marin. So. It creates a situation where oh, he has yeah. his daughter after his ex-girlfriend. Always a red flag. <laughs> I guess uh, Toriyama was just, I like that name. I'm going to use it he, somewhere. And then down the line, he's like, this one. And, and like, Yeah, he he, he was not involved. Okay. Like, okay. he, he had some involvement with the filler early on, because like, apparently Yamcha playing baseball, which is a great moment when he's introduced in Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> that was his suggestion. So at some point, he did have some input on what was going on. But after a certain point, like... He wasn't involved with the anime staff at all, and it really shows. But yeah, I, I do think I think Frieza's the best villain in all of Dragon Ball, like up till today, because Toriyama has actually gone on record saying that uh, they are literally he is literally based off of real estate speculators who he feels are the most vile type of people on Earth. So um, he he actually represents something, unlike you know even unlike Cell or Boo or even like Piccolo. Um, don't represent mm-hmm. something the way Frieza does. And so he, he represents something that is real and everything is just kind of building up to Frieza. And he, it's just, everything is built up so well. He's so menacing. It, it's, he's just a really well done villain. Uh, and so much of the mm-hmm. series is just built around that. Um, so I think that's, that's ultimately what sells this portion of the series. And I think it's why this is the portion of the series where People kind of get sucked in despite how dragged out and agonizing it gets at, at points because there's just that that nugget of goodness hidden away in there. And, and of course, that's the point. It's the critical point where Goku becomes Super Saiyan as well. Uh, yeah. Like the, even sorry, go ahead. Even though that's that's drawn out, yeah. like again for filler purposes, uh, what was a very quick and like impactful transformation in the manga turns into, like, three solid minutes of Goku screaming. Yeah, and uh, also, we were still getting the Texas episodes for, like, the early Android saga, uh, up until, I think, the first couple of Cell episodes. uh, Or the first few Cell episodes. This is when things started to get, like, YTV was started really falling behind on um, getting the episodes on time, and there were really long hiatuses. Were, Were you guys still watching at that point? Yeah, no, I remember they got up to, like, Dr. Giroux's lab, yeah. and then it just reset the whole thing. And so I was like, forever, why? Forever. That's the most exciting part! And and then we had to wait forever. So, for me, I started to get interested in other things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the thing, is I started, to, they started to air more anime on YTV, 
And then my Dragon Ball Z time started getting filled with other things, so it was like harder for me to pay attention after so many resets. You know, my parents limited how many things I could watch, so I'd rather cash that in for something that's not going to be the same episode six times. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember having more options for anime to watch, so I watched like Mega Man NT Network uh, or. NT Warrior or whatever yeah. that was called, yeah, and, and a bunch of other stuff. Card, card captors yeah. showed up around that time. Escaflone, Gundam Wing. Like it wasn't you weren't getting as much as you were getting on Toonami in the U.S. But you know you were starting to learn there were other things. Other anime went in other directions as well and offered other had mm. other things to offer. Yeah, sorry, I was thinking a little bit ahead when I said Mega yeah, Man, but yeah. you're right. Card Captor was coming out. That was on Teletoon, and I got so into Card Captor. Yeah. Um, Escaflone that... was the one that started to pull me away from Dragon Ball yeah. Z. Mm-hmm. It, it filled my like cool action quota, so I stopped. You know, I didn't stop caring about Dragon Ball Z, but I wasn't running to the TV because I knew it would be the same. Yeah, thing. and even though it was 24 episodes, there was it. It still came out faster. Like it still covered ground more efficiently than Dragon. Oh, Ball. Oh yeah, you, and felt more substantial. You to can't watch. find more of a contrast than like the second half of Escaflone, and the Frieza saga of Dragon Ball Z in terms of, of pacing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, personally, I, I fell out of Dragon Ball Z around the time that the, the, the Funimation dubbed episodes stopped on, on YTV. And it was, like, mostly because, my inter- again, my interest had shifted elsewhere, and it was just, it just, it was not... It was just excruciating to watch. The delays were too long. It was taking too long. There was I had nothing to build investment on. Also, I personally I think the cell arc isn't. It's probably my least favorite part of the series. Uh, I know a lot of people like it. It's like the marketing. It's like the central marketing point for so much of Dragon Ball Z because like the opening theme, the pose at the end is from the the uh, the an, the Android cell arc. A lot of the posters and merchandise you find it's taken from that era of the show. Um, I think I find it to be like the most cynical part of the show or the most cynical part of the series because that's the, you hear the stories about how Toriyama was like he wanted to do something different but his editor kept making him go back and make it more like the Frieza saga again which is why you went from these androids to the other androids to Cell and oh Cell has different forms now it's a, a tournament so uh, I I don't think he was really putting his heart into it the same way he did for for other parts. Uh, and, uh, I know uh, people will disagree with me on that for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to disagree. I, 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 to me, uh, the Boo Saga is way more tedious and hard to get through. Yeah, I think, I think the, the Cell Saga is also the part where Dragon Ball Z just fully becomes pro wrestling. But... I, so to me, to a certain extent, yeah, I, your, I, your I mileage may they, vary on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. The Cell Saga is also the conclusion to the narrative arc set up in Z at the start. Cause to me, watching it as a kid the whole time, Gohan was as much the protagonist right, as Goku right, was. Yeah. And, and, cause I had that framing device of this kid's dad dies and then he has to become strong. And they've got this sort of like parallel journey going on. Um, and that's why I, part of the reason that I, attached to the Cell Saga a lot more, and I really tapped out during the Boo Saga, is because Gohan has his, like, conclusion to his arc. He finally takes the torch from his father and saves the world on his own. Um, And 
that that feels like a really nice little bow put on the mm-hmm. whole story arc of Z as I was experiencing it because uh, I don't think that original Dragon Ball had aired yet. And then the Boo Saga started, and I was like, oh, Gohan's useless now. <laughs> yeah, I was, I mean, I the Cell Saga is like one of my favorites, but that's also because my absolute favorite character is Future Trunks. Um, and he was so involved in that. Um, but I was also like way more interested in Gohan as a character than Goku. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he he had his moment to be the center character for like the hype part, like for me, I wasn't really. I know he had his time on Namek and stuff, but that wasn't hype for me. And the fact that he got his like um, you know Lincoln Park AMV hype scenes was like is so memorable for me sitting on the edge of the couch being like. Ah! You know? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, my all-time favorite arc is, yeah. is so, the Saiyan arc. The Saiyan arc is fun. Yeah. It's my absolute favorite. It's great. Uh, Cell, yeah. Cell, Cell comes in second. Mm-hmm. There are much different yeah. lengths and yeah. much different levels of so, series. With this general, this general portion of the series also marks where the dub changed again on YTV. It was the Texas dubbed episodes, you know, up until early Cell Saga. Then it switched to an alternate dub that Ocean Studios had started producing. Um, I got I got a few things to say about that, but I'm actually first I'm curious to know because uh, you guys I know you guys were still watching at that time. Um, what did you think about that transition? It felt weird again. Yeah. You know, it was just. <laughs> but I also like... still couldn't ever put my finger on it. Yeah. The the, the transitions don't really stand out to mm-hmm. me in like my memory at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also because I was so obsessed that I didn't notice. Like I was the different kind of obsessed. I wasn't obsessed to the media. I was obsessed in like, I don't know, the characters, mm-hmm. and like I was obsessed in like tr- with Trunks as a character. Trunks and not... his nice jean jacket. Yeah, and the but not popping out of the top. <laughs> but of his not t-shirt. his voice. His voice. You know? Yeah, I yeah, wasn't yeah. quite in. You know, I didn't notice these things as much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's just me though. Yeah. But you? Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it was like I know it felt different, but because of all of the constant restarts on t- on uh, YTV. Didn't feel that different. It it no it, it was just there. It was hard to invest all the way, mm-hmm. you know. So like the continuity got broken up, and sometimes I'd go like a month or two without watching Dragon Ball, uh, just because I knew that it would take for friggin' ever to catch up to where it was, and then have a few more episodes. Um, and then but you know by the time that happened, I was it felt off. But it had been long enough since I last listened to the voices that I I wasn't like, oh, that's really different, you know? There wasn't, like, complete continuity ever for me from from the Funimation dub straight into the Ocean dub. And I guess that, that kind of changed my perspective of it a little. I, I watched, I didn't actually watch very much of, of this particular dub. Personally, I think, I think this is a common opinion. I think it is a big step down. Uh, it's, a, it's a step down from the Texas dub, which... Um, it, it was a. It started off as a pretty rough production, and you know improves over time. I think that the ocean dub was a step down from that, as it was. We were hearing that improve at that portion in the in the mid cell saga, and then we kind of jumped to this ocean dub, which uh, brings the original act like the most of the actors back from for the Saban episodes. But you know it doesn't have the same kind of polish, uh, and I think a big reason for that is because again Ian Corlett and Peter Clemanis did not return 
for that portion. And also, you know, they went through a bunch of different directors who apparently was rushed. They also used, uh, they reused music from the Mega Man cartoon, uh, which I guess Ocean had the rights to and they were able to apply to it for some huh. reason. It did, it did not fit wow. very well, uh, in my opinion. There's a lot of confusion as to why this dub came about. This was actually bankrolled in Europe by AB Group. Uh, they own the distribution rights to Dragon Ball and D- Dragon Ball Z in France and a few other territories in, uh, in Europe. And, uh, so there's a, there's a misconception that AB Group, uh, actually owned the rights in Canada. That's not true. Um, also the, this ocean dub was not produced. It was not required by Canadian law. Um, that's not the reason this was made at all. Uh, that also shows that people have a really massive misunderstanding of how Canadian cultural policy works. This dub was made for Europe, uh, because, you know, similar to how we were seeing a lot of delays to, uh, Dragon Ball Z in Canada, the same thing was happening in the UK. And I think a few other territories that were getting the English language episodes, AB group, uh, because they own the rights in some European territories, they saw this as an opportunity uh, to to just kind of make their own version and kind of move in on that territory uh, in Europe. And you know, this was th- these were very experimental days for anime dubbing at that time. So I think a lot of the the rights issues were not as clear. But because Ocean still had their their fingers in that pie here in Canada, and there was a little bit of demand to get those old voice actors back. Uh, that worked out very conveniently for AB Group, and they wound up working with them to prepare this other version for Europe. And then, the, so the delays that were happening with fun, between Funimation and Ocean, and the fact that this new dub would uh, would help adhere to Canadian content rules, and it, it was convenient for them. So the dub had already been, you know, about, I think, 20 or 30 episodes in before YTV switched, and we actually didn't get the first few episodes of that particular dub. Um but it was uh, definitely made under very strange circumstances, which f- aren't fully clear. But um, yeah, it was ma- it was made for Europe, and then it just kind of wound up showing up in Canada for uh, by convenience. I don't understand why it is that uh, this was faster though, because this dub was actually produced. All the audio was made from scratch at Ocean Studios, and they actually received the video materials from Funimation. So it was the same video. They actually used the same scripts as well, with a few small modifications. They they were huh. they toned down death compared to the Funimation version as well, which they completely gave up with uh, when they got to the Boo Saga, because it's futile to cover up death during the, the Boo Saga. But the, what was interesting is that the agreement they had with Funimation only let them use the uh, their video master's up until the last four episodes, because their argument was the last four episodes are when it flashes forward ten years. So that's not part of the main story, so Funimation felt they were not obligated to provide materials for that. Now again, as I mentioned before, like at this point, Funimation is still doing that thing to the video, where they crank up the contrast, apply a bunch of digital noise reduction, makes it look modern on like your old tube TV. Looks like garbage if you watch it on a, a modern TV, but it looked mm-hmm. good at the time, made the show look like it wasn't from, you know, eight to ten years ago. Um, for the last four episodes, what AB Group did, because they produced the French dub, they actually just took the French masters that they had, um, which was which created a big contrast. I'm not sure if you guys remember this, but I did catch those last few episodes, and uh, they had a lot... They looked very different. They looked older. They had more grain. Um, they weren't in terrible shape, but... The overall effect was like it looked worse than what had come before it. Did you guys remember that? Did you see that at all? No, I don't really remember that. Yeah, no. Um, 
That's... That doesn't stand out to me at all. I wasn't that serious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 getting, I'm getting super technical here. There's a really weird agreement going on with that, uh, with how that dub was produced. Before, before I move on to like what that led to, what, what did you? I want to hear what you guys think of the Boo Saga. Just we don't have to, we don't have to talk about it too much. But I, I have like really bad feelings on yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> like really bad opinions on it because. Like I said, I was younger and I was very invested in the characters and mm-hmm. not as much in the story. Yeah. Like I was more interested in in X character doing something than I was in, so, which is why I loved things like the driving episode. Um, so like during the Boo Saga, I, I I recognized the fact that it was terrible. It was like long and drawn out, and like every time you thought it was done, Boo had a new form. Mm-hmm. It, he just like kept pulling things out of his ass every time you thought that it was over, but, like, yeah. not in the exciting To way. be fair, Toriyama um, was completely just making things up as he went along from chapter yeah. to chapter. Oh, yeah. to the best yeah. thing is, and yeah. you can tell, yeah. you can totally tell, but I loved it because that meant that they just kept doing crazy yeah. things with my favorite characters. I loved the fusion stuff. I thought that that was amazing. I, I, I loved... Uh, uh, the whole dynamic with go, uh, Goten and Trunks with Piccolo mm-hmm. and him also having to be their father. Yeah, because <laughs> I their dads like, sucked. Yeah, their dads continued to suck, so he had to take on a new generation of children. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Piccolo is the best dad, for sure. Yeah, yeah and yeah. he got his time to shine as best dad, yeah. and like I, I didn't care for the Kais at all. That was my least favorite part, was the Kais. Well, you, 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 you don't love like the characters. the lore of uh, the gods behind the Dragon Ball universe. <laughs> now I do. Okay. Now, that's the thing. Yeah, now yeah. I can actually appreciate. I, I thought that that was like. I think they're pretty cool now. Um, mm. And I, I Beerus is like one of my favorite characters. Yeah. G- getting off track, but um, <laughs> but um, at the time they were just so story heavy and they didn't do anything as characters. You know what I mean? Like they were yeah. like they did things to the story, but. But they, they yeah. didn't do funny things like make jokes and go driving. Well, I mean, the so for me, I really don't like the Boo Saga. I mean, I like the episodes in it where the characters are goofing off. I, I like re- Fat Boo. Fat Boo and Hercule's friendship is it my is favorite. oh my god that is Fat the best. Is. That is one of my favorite uh, things in all of Dragon Ball. Um, and yeah, is is those two becoming friends? Uh, that yeah. to me that that is that's what makes the Boo Saga worth it. Really, yeah. yeah that's... They separate. Once they separate the two boos and stuff is when it starts to like yeah yeah the evil boo and good boo that's... at first like that's so cool and and then he just keeps going with the two boos and you're like done yet so here to me it's the boo saga represents the point where Dragon Ball really stops having any sense of like continuity or import to its villains. Um, and, and the, the fun characters messing around and, and having a goofy, uh, you know, just goofing around the, the driving episode, stuff like that does go up. And I think that that's what in super people like, but the flip side of that is like every single Dragon Ball villain up to that point, um, you know, uh, Raditz, Vegeta, Frieza, and Cell all had some previous connection to Goku, where he came from, and his actions in the past had a direct impact on why the world was being menaced by those particular threats. Um, and, you know, if you go back to classic Dragon Ball, 
Piccolo has that connection connection to King Piccolo. There's a lot of connections to the Red Ribbon Army. Um, and it makes Dragon Ball Z feel like a consequence of what happened in, in Dragon Ball, which I think at the point that the Boo Saga was airing, they had started putting out episodes of Dragon Ball on YTV. Not, not yet. So, not yet. It was, uh, it was actually a, a little after. We'll, uh, we'll jump to that in a moment. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So I became familiar with that around the same time and, and there was a lot to appreciate in all of those different connections to, you know, the Red Ribbon Army and stuff like that. And then you get to Boo. And like, like, you know, like, like Frieza is, and the Saiyans are all this connection to Goku's past. And then, uh, the androids and Cell, uh, especially are all consequences of his actions as an adventurer up to that point. Um, and you know, the, the people he'd fought before. And then Bibbity is, or Bobbity, I forget which one. Bob, yeah, Bobbity is the one who comes there. Bobbity is a random evil space wizard who comes to Earth to do evil magic to resurrect an ancient demon that also had no connection to anybody else in the Dragon Ball universe. Yeah. And they they kind of tack on the Kais who've got that connection. Yeah. But they're also new characters who are only vaguely connected to Goku yeah. By his, the Grand Kai filler arc. Yeah. And, uh, his relationship with King Kai. Um, and it just feels like from that point on, it's an excuse to have more fights and not a necessary consequence of what's come before. Not, not anything that's really a narrative. Yeah. You know what and I mean? It's, pl- it's plot wise. Uh, it's made worse by the fact that I don't think there's any justification for why Boo was sealed on Earth or just happened to be sealed on Earth of all places. Yeah, um, he just he was just. It's there. just a coincidence. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we, we already have Goku and Kami by chance were sent to Earth, and but, yeah, Boo, Boo was also there. Like you can, I, I can tolerate one coincidence, but this is. And how did I, nobody yeah. know about? Yeah, that? how yeah. did not a single creature? On Earth, no. How did yeah? How did Kami not exactly? How did Kami not be like, oh, I heard of this bitch? Like, um, but also Super Saiyan three was the first time that I actually felt like it was stupid. It is stupid. That's why you felt that that way. Mm. (laughs) But that's that was the very first time that I had really been like, this is kind of dumb. And like they're just they're just. Like really, that's what's gonna happen. He's gonna scream, and his hair's gonna get longer. Nothing's gonna like. Hey, he also loses like, his that's, eyebrows. That's how he's gonna win. Yeah, he's just a big. He's... But like, he he just he just does it. Like, you know, when he goes Super Saiyan for the first time, it's a big deal. Yeah, when 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 Gohan, Gohan ascends the mm-hmm. second one, that's a huge like life. To, you know, it's a huge like catastrophic thing that happens. But when he goes to Super Saiyan three, it's he's just the... stalling. That's all he's doing. And he's, it's the like, middle of. Yeah, sorry. It's the middle of like a fight with a random boo form. Yeah, it's while they're trying to practice their fusions. So it's like, it didn't feel like some monumental thing, like a giant power up should have been. And that was, I was just like. And the fusions didn't feel that way either. Like they were cool, but like none of them had. They like hyped up a permanent one with the earrings and then they were like, nah, just kidding. Nah, we're erasing that because. But yeah, the, the, the. The whole thing with Super Saiyan 3, like, every transformation, like, every big transformation prior to that point, when they finally pull off the transformation, uh, it's, it's the like end of the storyline. Yeah. It, 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 that's like the turning point that, like, okay, now we can take on this villain head on. 
Um, you know, like, like they keep trying to move past Super Saiyan. Um, but they've got that problem with being too bulky. So Cell can beat the crap out of Vegeta because he's just too slow. And then Super Saiyan 3 felt like a party trick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, I think is... this is the reason why they've kind of retconned the forms in the latest movies and in Dragon Ball Super because he has the Super Saiyan God and Super Saiyan God, Super Saiyan, Super, Super Saiyan Red and Super Saiyan Blue. Like, they basically just eliminated the other two in between. And mm-hmm. I, I think it, it is specifically because they just kind of want to retcon how stupid those in-between ones were. Or how stupid the third one was, at least. Super Saiyan 3 also yeah. looks really dumb, because he's just got, like, the, the really, really big, angry yep. brows. Yeah. And the, the like, long-ass hair. And then they ran with that into Super Saiyan 4. And I was it was just about not to say, good. you want to talk yeah. about bad design? We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to GT Super in a minute, Saiyan I think. I, I, I know, I know oh, Jeff yeah, is just yeah. chomping at the bit to talk about GT. It's me. Yeah, so Boo, I'm, I'm kind of mixed on it. I love the funny stuff. I love that Toriyama could be funny again with it you can tell he was he was enjoying that mm-hmm. part of it but at the same time like the the story elements are just they kind of come out of nowhere it feels like um there's it doesn't feel organic at all uh death is meaningless like people people are like entire crowds of people are slaughtered and goku's reaction is oh it's okay we can bring them back with the dragon balls because death is meaningless in this show now <laughs> um it's like we got extra Dragon Balls on the other yeah. planet in case we can't yeah, bring exactly. enough of them it's, back. Yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous. And also the way Goku is brought back to life for the second time is complete bullshit. But, you know, who, again, who cares at this point? Yeah, I, I love stuff like Mr. Satan becoming friends with Boo. Uh, and hey, hey, Mr. Satan was critical to defeating Boo in, in several ways as well, uh, which I appreciate because I like Mr. Satan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, ultimately what they need is yeah. the hype man to mm-hmm. bring up that spirit bomb. And he... Like, I, I, re- Hercule is my favorite part of that story. I think that he makes it work because he goes from being like a gag character in, um, in the Cell games. In, yeah. In the Cell games. And I, you know, I, I don't think he gets enough credit for what a great character he is. Cause at, with One Punch Man, everybody talks about what a great concept king is this guy who just keeps showing up and taking credit for what the main character does to explain why nobody knows that's happening but hercule was doing the same thing a decade ago um and i don't know i i hercule i like but the anti-climax of bringing goku back a second time completely undoing gohan's entire character development that's the worst part of it um i hate vegeta just going through the exact same lesson that he learned when he let Cell transform to his final form for the sake of his ego. Just, just, he's doing that again, but, but this time he's more evil and I, yeah, uh, all of that is just really bad. Deborah is a cool villain. I'll, I'll give you that. Deborah with the, the stone spit. That's a cool power. That's about it. That's all like, right. that's all I got. Sorry. Also, Vegeta sacrificing himself. Yeah, it it's better than Goku sacrificing that himself, of... only, only to leave to <laughs> ensure that Cell didn't wasn't completely defeated to help teach his son a lesson and then abandon him because he is. Vegeta's yeah. actually felt yeah. really emotional. Though. Mm-hmm. Like I was actually like, also, holy shit, you know, it like, I don't know, he like knocks Trunks out and he's yeah. like, no. people aren't joking when really uh, about how satisfying it is to watch Vegeta develop as a father. 
it's it's one of the best parts, and it gets that gets better in Dragon Ball Super, I find too. So at this point uh, in the U.S., uh, the original Dragon Ball had run on TV, but again because YTV had no relationship with Funimation, they didn't have access to that dub, um, and they did redub the whole thing. But AB Group uh, was still continuing on with their own versions of Dragon Ball. They went back and produced their own dub. Of, of the original Dragon Ball, uh, which aired on YTV in 2003. Now, I know I didn't follow this one for very long. I followed, I followed it for a while. Um, I, I was still... I had a lot of nostalgia for the original Dragon Ball, and in a way, I was satisfied that after eight long years, um, YTV was finally going to run episode 14 of Dragon Ball for the first time. But I was expecting it to be the Funimation <laughs> dub, because I didn't realize that you know they, they were doing everything with Ocean at that time. So uh, Ocean moved the production of this from Vancouver to Calgary. Uh, to save money. So the entire everyone was completely recast, uh, meaning that Goku had yet another voice actor. I think he was up to six voice actors at this point. But it is very important for everyone listening to know that Sean Shemmel is the only true uh, Goku. Uh, oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah According yeah, to him, other, at least. The other, like, 15 <laughs> voice actors who have played Goku over the years uh, obviously don't count. Of course, we don't know ag- exactly what happened before Kamehameha Khan. Uh, the court the- <laughs> Jeff is talking about is apparently um, uh, Ian Corlett uh, was temporarily suspended apparently. as a guest at um, uh, Sean's request because Sean Schemmel, uh allegedly believes he is the one true voice of Goku and then no one else counts. Except for the Japanese. Mas- Masaka Nozawa, yeah, the 87-year-old yeah. woman who... <laughs> the only voice actor that Goku has ever had in Japan and ever will, and probably ever will For because she will live to won't. be 120, I'm sure. And that woman, I swear to God, like, you think Goku screams a lot in the English dubs. Like, the, the English dub voice actors complain about screaming as Goku so much, they've got nothing on her. I swear to God, this this 87-year-old woman, she has to have this, maybe not the strongest vocal cords on Earth, but she's top five, for sure. She's She's got to be. But yeah, AB Group funded a new dub done in Calgary Blue Water Studios. This time they didn't have access to any of the tapes the visual tapes from Funimation so they had to do everything like they did those last four episodes of Dragon Ball everything from the French tapes and those DBZ tapes they looked okay but I swear to god now I I have a few varying opinions of the Dragon Ball dub um of this Dragon Ball dub uh, I think but I'm gonna start with the bad first and the worst part about this dub by far is the way it looked when these were done using ancient PAL tapes from the French broadcast. Uh, they were converted to NTSC uh, by Blue Water, edited, and then reconverted for television broadcast uh, in Canada. Uh, they even tried to apply their own digital edits to it. They owe any French text. There was some hard-subbed French text in this that they overlaid very sloppily with English text. Um, the end result was Horrible. Now, I, I, I've mentioned before how, like, funny's like, DNR stuff looks terrible if you look at it now. Back then, we were still using CRT TVs, and I was expecting to see the Funimation dub uh, air on YTV, but, man, it was, like, kind of brutal to watch this version. I swear to God, I think this may have actually been one of the worst-looking things that YTV has ever run. You also, like, it cannot be overstated how bad the opening That's is. That's the worst the part. The edited opening. Now, the opening, they use a different opening. Ball, 
It's actually based on the French opening. It's a dubbed version of the French opening. It was pointed out to me, I think, by Ian at one point, that the uh, the French opening for the original Dragon Ball is actually a knockoff of the He-Man theme. It's several generations removed from all the, all this weird shit. Uh, that that yeah, that opening is awful. Like after years of expe- of waiting for the the Funimation dub to air, which you know, you know looks like looks decent and has a, an accurate theme song compared to the uh, the original one. Um, and just seeing that that was like hugely disappointing to me. Like I may have re- overreacted a little bit because there's some good points to this dub, but. Man, like, it is rough. It is rough, especially for 2003, which is where we are on the timeline now. Yeah, it's yeah. ugly as hell. Or Hithel. It's ugly as Hithel. <laughs> However, and also the, the voice acting wasn't always great. There were some good voices, but most of them were, were pretty questionable. But yeah, it's some decent uh, performances. But I, as we mentioned before, the most important part about this dub is that compared to all other televised dubs of the original Dragon Ball, this really kept most of the the continent not only violence and like that that whole piccolo fight from the at the end of the series it is completely uncut which is kind of shocking because that is one of the bloodiest fights in the series and it they didn't they they could have edited it and they they didn't um and Mm -hmm. it was kind of eye-opening and kind of makes you wonder why content that had run on ytv before was edited as much as it was but yeah they, they just kept all of it in and more importantly uh, most of the sexual content was intact, especially compared to the Funimation dub that ran on uh, on Toonami in the States. Yeah, it ended up in a later night block, and it ended up feeling more mature than Dragon Ball, like the English dub of Dragon Ball Z in a lot of ways. And that's really backwards from the experience of, of Dragon Ball in Japan. Yeah, I mean, I like, here's the thing for me, I... They had more episodes more frequently. It, I, I remember it moved a lot faster and got to new story parts quicker yeah. than Dragon Ball did, and or than Dragon Ball Z did. There was less filler in uh, in the Dragon Ball manga adaptation too, because they started two or three years after Dragon Ball was was being uh, syndicated in Japan, like the manga. So they had a lot more material to work for before they caught uh, to work through before they caught up. Part of the reason that Dragon Ball Z is so frustrating to watch is because by that time they had almost caught up to the Dragon Ball manga, and it just I don't know I I I really really liked Dragon Ball in some ways more than Dragon Ball Z when it was airing, in spite of the many many flaws with that dub. I feel like I've covered all of my feelings on Dragon Ball. I wasn't super. In, I mean, I was, like, into Dragon Ball, but I didn't really mm-hmm. pick up yeah. till Z, mm-hmm. so... And I see you're really itching to get to GT and your boyfriend, Trunks. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> the fuck did you just fucking say about me, you little... <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping that in. That's fine. Um, yeah. yeah, so I caught a fair bit of this dub. I didn't I didn't watch the whole thing. Uh, I think it only had, like, one or two hiatuses. They did, you're, you're right, they got through it way quicker. I think the whole thing was delivered. 
to YTV when it was finished, pretty much. Like I mentioned, the amount of sexual content that was kept in was surprising. The the fight with Ron Fon, where she, like, strips down to her underwear, that was edited quite a bit in the U.S. version. It was, that, that whole thing was completely uncut in the the version that aired on YTV. And surprisingly, even the, the scene with the Invisible Man, where Krillin pulls down Bulma's top to cause Roshi to have a giant nosebleed to cover the Invisible Man so that they can see him and defeat him. That was, like, they, they did not fundamentally change what happened in that scene, if I remember it correctly. You didn't see the, you know, actual offending act, but, like, they, they didn't hide the fact that this was blood coming from Master Roshi's nose, which is kind of surprising. I think the Funimation version went to a bizarre extent to try and re-script that whole bit. One other thing that I, I distinctly remember from the dub of, of Dragon Ball that I really liked was... Launch, they did a really good job of dubbing Launch and her, like, personality change, and I just really liked her character mm-hmm. in yeah. general a lot. And I, I'm, I missed her when I went back to Z. Those last few scenes she gets in the Saiyan saga in the anime, they're, they're really great, cause in the, the manga, Toriyama just kinda throws out this thing with her being in love with Tenshinhan, and they don't, it's not explored at all in the manga. It's just kind of thrown out there and then dropped. But they do a little bit with it in the Saiyan arc. And it's, it's, it's really nice to see. And it's always kind of, kind of disheartening to see it cut out in like Kai and, and kind of overlooked now. But yeah, she's, she's really the forgotten character of, of the franchise. Yeah. She really is. And I mean, you know, angry blonde ladies, Krillin's certainly got a type. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I gotta say, I think, uh, I think the Piccolo arc, is probably my, I think that might be my favorite, like, kind of segment in all of Dragon Ball, because that's when, like, the world building really gets serious and, and believable, the stakes really start to rise, um, and the fighting is not all laser beams yet, there's actually still some real martial arts action, uh, and, and also, the, like, the moment when Goku penetrates through Demon Lord Piccolo's chest, it, it's worth noting in the manga, that scene is like, I think it's the only full page spread that Toriyama does. Thing. And it's a really significant moment because it, it kind of marks the moment where Goku becomes the strongest being on Earth, essentially. And I really, I mm-hmm. really like that bit. And like the whole thing's uncut in the, the Blue Water dub, which is great. Um, but it really shows how unfortunate it is that really we had to experience this part of Dragon Ball after Dragon Ball Z. Because after reading the manga from front to back, I can safely say this story is infinitely superior when you do the, read the whole thing in order. Like, you appreciate everything in the Z saga, or the Z uh, arc, so much more when you have the context of, of Dragon Ball behind it. Like, you understand who Korin is, who uh, Han is, who, who Tao Pai Pai is, all these characters who pop up randomly in, in Z. You get all this context, you, you appreciate it more. If you haven't experienced everything in order, I highly recommend it. But yeah, so... In addition to the Dragon Ball dub that Blue Water Studios uh, made for, for AB Group and was distributed to, to YTV through Ocean, uh, they also did a separate dub from Dragon Ball GT. Now, I honestly, I have nothing to say about this. I watched, like, the first episode. Infamously, the Funimation dub was, it skipped 16 episodes, did a lot of more localization, had the rap opening. I loved the rap opening. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a big fan, personally, of, of the, the oh, it's the one opening that yeah. we got that was better than the than the American opening, I think the in another time hey. and place. It, it it feels very like '90s rock or so whatever. I really liked it. They they Funimation uploaded that rap to their website, and at the time, um, I my sister had an MP3 player, so she used her MP3 player to record it for me mm-hmm. off of Funimation's website. Like she held her MP3 player up to the speaker. 
and we listened to it on Funimation's website, and then she plugged her MP3 player in and took the file off of her MP3 player and put it onto a CD for me. So I could listen to the opening, that shitty rap, over and over again on recorded MP3 player quality. I loved that rap. Yeah, basically, like, your entire, like, that year was just... Stepping into the Grand Tour. Welcome to the Grand Tour, Grand Tour, Grand Tour. Yep, yep. Grand Tour, Yes. Ah, man. I didn't like the Canadian opening, that song. I didn't like it. I, I really liked it. I, I It was, like, very fun and adventurous. The thing is, I really do feel like the Grand Tour rap lies to the audience about yeah. about what Dragon Ball GT is. Because Dragon Ball GT is, like, to me, as somebody who liked original Dragon Ball, I would say almost more than I liked Dragon Ball Z watching, watching it. Um, I really liked the return to the adventurousness of... Uh, Dragon Ball. Obviously, there are problems with GT. Yeah, they tried to sell GT as being more hardcore than yeah, it was. which it's it's more hardcore than Z. Yeah, which the, whole, is the, the, whole, the entire fundamentalization. Yeah, it's like it's a deception. It's trying to recontextualize the show. The other thing about GT, like like I think that the the ocean dub of GT is pretty solid. Um, by that point, you know, uh, they had they, they were also improving um cuz they'd been with the series for a while so it didn't feel like as much of a step down in terms of polish and as far as GT's story goes i'm i'm probably going to get hung for this uh, or hanged for this hung is different um, <laughs> i'm going to get hanged for this uh but i kind of think that in some ways dragon ball gt is a better follow-up to the story of Dragon Ball Z up to the Cell Saga than either the Boo Saga or Super. Not counting the movies, because I think that the movies are really good. I, I mean, to be fair, Super, for the first part of it, is basically the movies. <laughs> Just redone. Yeah, yes. And, I, I, I mean, when Super is bringing in old Dragon Ball Z villains or increase doing world building in, in that way that connects to Goku it I think it works but when it's just like here's a random guy from another universe who is just very strong and Goku's very strong and they got to fight each other or this guy's a god who took Goku's body so that he could be Goku strong and now they got to beat Goku you know that that stuff doesn't feel as connected as in GT um as dumb as GT is, and I cannot emphasize dumb enough, the one thing that I really appreciate that they did is uh, the the Tuffles, really dumb name, but the, the Tuffle race having that connection to the Saiyans um, and being one of the first races that the Saiyans con- conquered um, and having that, like, lust for revenge is, like, a really interesting way of connecting to the, the backstory of Goku and providing a bit of closure on his rivalry with Vegeta by giving them a common enemy, and then that common enemy possesses Vegeta, and you've got that who's stronger thing. There's a lot of, like, interesting stuff there. Uh, and then the Super 17 saga, again, is, is like, they bring back, you know, Dr. Jiro and, and all of that, and, and again, there's that connection to the, to the past, and then, the, the, it gets really stupid with the evil dragons. There's like a lot of stupid stuff there. But the idea 
of every wish that they've ever made on the Dragon Balls coming back to haunt them in a physical way is, I think, really cool and, uh, it, it, it's, it feels more like a reflection of the legacy that Dragon Ball had compared to Super where it's like, here's a guy from a completely different dimension and you gotta fight him in this tournament. Or the whole I universe. do appreciate how Dragon Ball GT, um, I mean, as as bad as those later story arcs are, how how it brings the focus back to the Dragon Balls, which have just become just a a complete background thing that's taken for granted at this point. I, I think that's part of the them trying to bring it back to the feeling of an adventure to different places and less like a series of fights. Yeah, I think GT gets a bit of a bad rap, but at the same time, it deserves a lot of it because the writing is much weaker than it is no. in other parts of the series. One thing that I kind of liked about GT, and it was a little disappointing, uh, but for the most part I tried to force myself to like, was Pan. Um, I, I, I didn't get a chance to throw it in there earlier when we were talking about um, uh, the beginning of the Boo Saga, but Videl as a character was like super, super important, at least to me and I think the other small female audience, because uh, it was the first time... They put a female in the show who could actually do something. Like, yeah, Bulma was smart and sassy, but she wasn't strong. She couldn't fight with them. She she could sass alongside with them and say, you know, she could make some cool things. But for someone who wasn't smart, like me, uh, she wasn't someone you could, like, look at and be like, damn, I love her. She's, like, an inspirational character. And Chi-Chi had been sidelined yeah. for a long time Chi-Chi ago. was just the wife. Chi-Chi, yeah. Chi-Chi was out of the picture as soon as Dragon Ball. And, you know, she was in it, but she was no longer. Yeah. She was a mom. Mm-hmm. She was also a mom yeah. who was kind uh, of the same. The same happened with Android 17. But, you know, she she never wanted to be a, a warrior to begin with. That's something that was always kind of forced on her. So, But also she was at this point still yeah. kind yeah. of a bad guy, you know? Um, it was just the beginning of, of that arc where you, last you saw yeah, her, yeah. She, you know, she wasn't someone you could be like a hero mm-hmm. when you look at them. So Videl was the first person who was like, and also she wasn't special. I mean, yeah, she was special from like a, a human standpoint, but she wasn't an alien. She wasn't a robot. She was just a girl who was like really passionate about fighting and worked really, really hard mm-hmm. to be good at fighting. Um, she didn't have any, like, besides being Mr. Satan's daughter, she didn't have any, like, special power that made her strong. Um, so I was, like, desperately looking for another character to love like I loved her. And I was really looking forward to Pan. Like, even though Pan is half San, she's still pretty close to being, like, a normal person. And then they made her, like, kind of a whiny teenager. Like, I kind of liked how how... I guess inconsistent she was at first because that was accurate for a teenage girl. But then they just kind of made her shitty and not as powerful as I was hoping she would be, and she was just kind of a... She was there in addition to Trunks. And she was no still girl. a girl and who it, got it, hurt easily. Yeah. She was still a girl who cried over It's, it's interesting how they always point out in Dragon Ball Z, and this is a this is a kind of a refreshing thing about Saiyans, is having mixed blood actually makes them more powerful, which is really refreshing mm-hmm. compared to, like, usual mythology of things that being, being mixed doesn't make you being good. having pure blood is what makes you you stronger that makes pan especially disappointing in that regard yeah they, 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 they kind of start on that um with vegeta yeah uh, vegeta but, believes that that you know gohan's not a pure sand so he's not as strong yeah, yeah. but they they retconned that recently actually yeah. 
um, with the S cells thing. I don't know if you guys have heard of. So apparently there's these cells that gentle Saiyans have that let them turn into Super Saiyans, and those can be the prevalence of S cells determines how powerful a Saiyan, Saiyan is, and those can be inherited. So now the reason that all of the or all of the mixed blood Saiyans are more powerful is because they inherited their father's S cell counts. It's kind of silly. So, so, so mitochlorians, basically. I, I guess the only thing I can say about Dragon Ball GT is that for all its flaws, it's important to keep in mind that there was like when it was airing in Japan, um, there was no break between Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball GT. Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball GT uh, started the week after Dragon Ball Z ended with basically the same staff. So they were complete. They were basically flying by the seat of their pants. They had no. They they didn't have like 15 years to prepare like they did for. Um, uh, for, for Dragon Ball Super and like being able to extensively test what what people are going to like and what they're not going to like. Uh, so I mean, Dragon Ball Z- GT is kind of bold when you when you think of it that way. GT also wasn't very cool, arguably. Like trying to talk to your friend or convince your friend to watch something with a villain named Baby. Yeah, is like <laughs> the biggest. You know, the big bad of this arc is Baby. Yeah. You know, trying to sell your yeah. 11, 10 year old friends on that. And, and looks wise, as much as I like the concept of Super 17, just 17 with much longer hair and a bigger, and bigger eyebrows. A bigger just, brow bone, yeah. He just, it, and, and uh, since we're on it, Super Saiyan 4 looks so stupid. So, yes, um, one, one thing about that I just, there's no point in me saying this, I just want to throw it out there because I love it about GT. I bought, I don't know what it was, it was a game, I think it was the walkthrough, not the walkthrough, but like the game, not guide, but like the, the thing kids who were really into a game used to read. It wasn't a guide, it was like an info book for kids who were super into it. Mm-hmm. And it had like, here's these cool secrets in the game. It was one of those for Budokai. And it came with a disc. The strategy guide. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Strategy guide. It wasn't like a a walkthrough, but it was like, you know, you're really into it. Uh, I couldn't think of that. Um, It came with one episode of GT as like a preview. And it was the episode where they open up the hole to hell. And uh, Frieza comes back and Cell comes back and all of the villains descend on the city. And Goku has to, is like bullied by Frieza and Cell. I thought that that was like, the greatest episode of that show. I don't know why. <laughs> I have absolutely no justification for why I loved that episode, but that disc was like my most treasured object. I watched that episode over and over again. It's really fun to watch Frieza and Cell interact. Yeah, it was it was it was like refreshing to see them be kind of like a comedy duo together. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't quite as serious and stuff. I mean, I do love what they've done with, with Frieza in the new series. Oh my god. Frieza in, in the newest, especially in the newest movie, is this reference might be lost on you guys. Hopefully someone watching will get this, but he seems like the kind of, kind of guy who would win a season of RuPaul's Drag Race. He's the right kind of sass monster. Yeah. who I fear because he's gonna say something that's gonna hurt me so deep because it's so clever. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he seems like the kind of guy who would say something out of pure sass that just cuts you so deep. You're like, wow. <laughs> You're like that. Just judged me so hard. He's just, 
I like how sassy Frieza became. Mm-hmm. He's really catty and mean. Yeah, they like um, realized he couldn't be that scary anymore. Yeah. So they were like, let's just make him a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Any other uh, final thoughts on GT? Uh, Super Saiyan 4 looks yes. really stupid. I tried so hard to think Super Saiyan 4 looked cool. I like convinced myself. I was like, yeah, the red monkey hair. He has a vest made of his own oh, chest hair. No, it's made of monkey hair. And it's red. Why was it red? And why did they get red eyeliner? There were so many questions. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, and he get. Yeah, yeah, it's really dumb. I, like, the Super Saiyan Great Ape is at least, like, a continuation of the escalation yeah. of, of what has come before. But it just... it. I, I think that, like, you look at Super Saiyan 4 Goku with, again, the shirt that's made of hair, and that just looks gross on a person. You know, it looks like your dad coming out of, uh, you know, a hard workout <laughs> with, like, this this mat of chest hair, and he's like, and uh, they're trying to make that I feel cool. Like I, I feel like I can smell <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like thinking about how gross and sweaty their weird monkey fur must get when they're fighting. Yeah. Oh god. Oh. That, that does make me uncomfortable. I'm, I'm like. Ugh. Yeah. Um. Uh, I'm trying to think of other things. There was a lot of GT things I thought when I watched GT. Um. A lot of people had a lot of negative feelings about Gohan turning into a nerd, like a real nerd, like with his not like when he was in high school where he was like a cool nerd who happened to be good at sports i've seen a lot of people be like they gave up on gohan and you know turned him into a book nerd and i was like i kind of liked that i kind of thought you that would stop no i mean i thought that was a cool mm. progression for him that he they kept they didn't i i don't know they didn't decide that maybe he should be the cool guy i just kind of well, hate that they kept him they they went balls deep i mean that with his I, think he, I think it represents one thing i really like about dragon ball is how the status quo is constantly changing in unexpected ways right down to the you know the direction that certain characters go in in the end he turned into the boy his mom wanted him to be yeah <laughs> she she could have just let it happen and he would have turned into her ideal yeah. son mm-hmm. it just took a while <laughs> but no i mean if she just went hands off he probably still would have turned into that perfect son and... I, he does <laughs> he starts turning into an into that nerd in in the boo saga I know, when no, he's I going mean, to high school yeah no i mean that they didn't decide to ditch that you know because they kind of start to make him a little cool when they start to unlock his power with the sword yeah. you know they kind of start to lean into maybe he's still kind of cool he's got a cool outfit and a cool sword but then they subvert it and it's that's great. what i mean that's what i mean is they, they decided to just keep going with it and i was like thank you for if you're gonna make things up thank you for not <laughs> messing with that go ten got to be cool yeah but cool in quotations cool um yeah i like i i like i like what they did with gohan um afterwards because i think that that's the only way they could take his character really because mm-hmm. he had like this arc of like stepping into his dad's shoes and saving the world and when they decided they were going to continue the story with goku coming back he couldn't just keep being more goku mm-hmm. another another non-important thing that needs to be discussed about gt is vichita's mustache as he calls it <laughs> Do you remember that and how it made no sense? How he was suddenly able to grow hair on his face? 
But he's got that in Super too. I wh- why does that doesn't make sense? How is he? Do they explain it in Super? Do they explain how he suddenly grows facial hair? I guess he's just stopped shaving it. We assume they shave it. While yeah, they're that's, in space? that's true. Like, he should have like he should have been able to grow facial hair before. But I mean, Nappa had a had a had a goatee, so. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, Nappa yeah. did have that. Nappa had his good. And he didn't have it when he was younger yeah. when they showed him, did he? Or did he? No, I think he did have it in the movie when he was. Yeah, I think. I think, sh- I think yeah. he had it still that too. But anyway, um, I just thought that was the, the most pointless thing they could have included was him getting bullied by his own daughter for having facial hair. And then he comes out and doesn't have facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> that was the greatest piece of Vegeta character development. That's the kind I of shit I love. I like, like, like just Vegeta. Yeah. <laughs> Just trying to be a cool dad. <laughs> yeah, no, I love I love that he thinks his daughter is the greatest yeah. thing on the planet. Like, I think that that was so unexpected or kind that, of unexpected. That he pampers the hell out of bra. Because of how much he hated Trunks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How shitty of a dad he was towards Trunks most of the time. It was, like, kind of funny to see. You're, you remember when Especially because we... Goku never got a girl, you know? Yeah. So to see one of them be like a softie was like, oh. Remember when we watched the, the recent Broly movie and it's just like, Goku's like, come on, you gotta do it for your precious wife and for... your daughter Beulah. And he's like, yes, I agree. And it's like, what about Trunks? <laughs> right? No one, he's like, I gotta do it for her. And it's like, what about your other child? But Goku wouldn't think of a son. Yeah, Goku wouldn't think of a single child. But also, in it, Vegeta has a lot of like moments that they slowly build up of him being like a really a better human than Goku. Like when he defends Bulma, um, sometime during the Buu saga when they're up with the Kais, Goku offers uh, a kiss of, from Bulma to the old Kai. In the original version, he he uh, let o- he said old Kai could grope Bulma. <laughs> Which which like, uh <laughs> which makes Goku look even worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the anime, that makes more sense too about why yeah. Vegeta would freak out about it because yeah. he like loses. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was like that was I don't know the slow progression that Vegeta has of truly being a better human than Goku. He may not mm-hmm. be as powerful, but he's a better dad and a better husband and a better human. Well, he's a saint. It's not a, a very low bar. Yeah, he's yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. But his human qualities, he makes a better human. Than a better Goku. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah. So dra- after Dragon Ball GT ended, that's when YTV, you know, got into Bionics, uh, and then Dragon Ball ca- has kind of kind of faded, um, from at least you know mainstream Canadian media. Dragon Ball Kai, of course, which is the edited version of Dragon Ball, did did come. Um, it aired on Nicktoons in um the United States at first, an edited version. It wasn't too badly edited. Interestingly, though, the uh, visual edits that were made to Dragon Ball Kai were done by Ocean Studios, again, uh, still keeping their fingers in that pie. Um, That version did not air in Canada, though. Uh, If you lived near somewhere that had a CW station, you may have seen the heavily edited four kids version of Dragon Ball Kai airing on uh, on their Toonzai block, where I think most people know that as the version where Mr. Popo was painted blue, which, you know, I, I, I guess I can kind of understand why you'd want to try to do something <laughs> about Mr. Popo. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's something I never thought about at all when I was a kid. It never occurred to me, <laughs> that particular aspect of that character. And going back and reading Dragon Ball, you see that, you know, Akira, I don't think Akira Toriyama is trying to be racist in the way that he draws um, black people, because you know he's. I think he's legitimately trying to like produce a like depict diversity in his work, but that's just in the environment he grew up in. 
just that's how you he that's how he understood that you draw a cartoon of a black person. But yeah, Miss Mr. Popo. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Popo <laughs> Mr. Popo and uh uh General yeah, yeah, Black yeah. from the Red Ribbon <laughs> Army. Oh yeah. Um just yeah, yeah, I, I mean also Jinx yeah. from Pokemon. There was a whole yeah. thing there. Where like for some reason they was still open season yeah. and, and, and 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 also the 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 Native American kid in Dragon Ball in like yeah. original Dragon Ball who just like lives in a teepee and has yeah. one feather on it like there's a lot of stuff in original Dragon Ball especially that it, it's like eyebrows raised and Mister Popo's the only one who's stuck yeah. around from that point forward but like oh that's not. That's not okay. In in like that would not fly if they tried to dub that uh, this year. I don't think. I I. I oh yeah, no way, no it, way. Popo, I don't think would have even no, made it. Mister Popo, Mr. Popo was fortunate yeah. to first appear in the dub back in the nineties when yeah. we didn't see race and racism didn't exist anymore. So it it seemed benign yeah. back then. Yeah, nobody was... Everyone was pretending that it was okay. He just got <laughs> grandfathered in. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. But anyway, from apart from that, Dragon Ball kind of disappeared from Canada at that point, but it still uh, had a lot of pop culture significance in kind of unexpected ways. Uh, I think DBZ Abridged was probably one of the most prominent examples of that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, oh no, I just, Abridged was just like that thing that re-sparked my interest in DBZ again. For um, me too, yeah. I have like a very vivid memory of sitting in my 10th grade law class with the only other person I knew that vaguely cared about Dragon Ball Z anymore, and I was sitting on my iPod Touch uh, that, that, that um, I had preloaded some stuff on... on when I, we were away for lunch, I had preloaded a video for us to watch during this goddamn shit class. And we were back there splitting a headphone, watching this episode. And it was episode two of theirs that was the first one we saw. And we got in so much trouble during that class because we would not stop watching it and literally laughing, like, extremely loud. And then we had no respect. <laughs> I had zero respect. As a it's Canadian kid. law. It's fine. It's fine. It's not real. It's not real law. <laughs> but yeah, I have this, like, crazy memory of watching that and thinking this is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. We, like, couldn't believe it, and it was something we talked about all the time, too, because we thought it was so funny, and, and it became something that I regularly watched. And now sometimes some of my memories of Dragon Ball Z are wrong. Because, <laughs> because of the bridge. Because I forget that that didn't actually happen. <laughs> you know, I forget that they made that joke up for a bridge that it wasn't real. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of the jokes in a bridge are iconic. Mm -hmm. It's hilarious, and I will quote everything they say. <laughs> Abridged, I I kind of feel like Abridged is, to a certain extent, responsible for keeping the hype up between the end yeah. of Dragon Ball airing on TV. And it coming back. And it coming back. Yeah, I, no, absolutely. They kept, I think they kept that entire fandom alive and going. It kept, it kept reminding people that it was good and that it was there. And, and it made people like, people were looking forward to their episodes. Mm -hmm. which kept them hyped up for real Dragon Ball. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it, it's cool that, that some of the people involved with Dragon Ball Z actually recognize that, that they were influential in, in keeping Dragon Ball Z important mm -hmm. or keeping the Dragon Ball franchise important. It's cool that they kind of get some a little tiny drop of, of recognition for that. Yeah. Uh, Chris Sabat gives them a lot of respect for, for their work. And, and um, 
Which yeah, they deserve. I they, think that, they do. I think that they really they tried to the use lot. them in um, a in an episode of Dragon Ball Z. Uh, or sorry, Dragon Ball Super, but that wound up getting cut at the last minute. Yep, we heard about that. Toei was like, nope, you're not allowed to do that. It ended up somewhere, though. It ended up on... uh... Because I've heard it before. It was on YouTube for a while, and it was like accidentally... I don't know what happened, but I've heard it before. Mm -hmm. Um, But also... Weren't weren't they... I feel like they might have been integrated into one of the late dub episodes of Kai, because there's... Or uh, something. I just... I I feel like I've heard it before. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm really wrong, but I swear I heard it. I could have sworn that they... There's a bit in Kai where Hercule creates a movie version of his fight against And they use their voice. But didn't that get, didn't they actually air that anyway? That was yeah, that was in or the, they, the they, Saga. I think they I, they weren't able to air it with the voices yeah, okay. though. Toei was like, no, these people. All oh, right, are I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that, this was in their... Kai, not in um, not in Super. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 For Kai, this was the re redoing. Yeah, I I don't know. I swear I've heard it. Maybe I haven't heard it. Everything they do is great. I'm glad they're still going to keep going yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Um, I very much look forward to their Saiyan. Oh the the Saiyaman saga wait. from them is going to be fantastic. I, I cannot wait. That's going to be so good. <laughs> it's like just pure joke fodder. Mm-hmm. I agree. The I, entire I, time. So now, uh, I mean, we're we're getting we've been getting the movies now, which has probably been the biggest um, well cultural presence of Dragon Ball anywhere <laughs> in a long time. Toei did put out that OVA back in 2008 with like Vegeta's brother. Oh yeah. my god, yeah, yeah it's um, <laughs> not recommended. There's Vegeta's brother, there was also the manga, uh, the spin-off manga that he did where it's Space yeah. Patrolman Jacko, mm-hmm. um, and he's going off on all these crazy adventures uh, with a human woman and another alien, um, and then at the end uh, he meets up with the woman's sister and it's Bulma right before the start of Dragon Ball. So that was like the two threads of Dragon Ball existing before we yeah. went into the... But yeah, so that brings us to the point we're at now with, uh, I mean, the, these movies have been extremely successful, uh, especially Brawly, which at the time of recording just came out a few months ago. Um, so in your opinion, because uh, I know we don't have Super, Super isn't on TV or on like a major streaming service here. So, you know, it's, it's something you very much have to try to seek out if... Um, if you want to see it, it's not something it really, it should be on, you know, I wish it was on television or on crave or something like that where more people could see it, but it's something you have to dig for. That was the most Canadian thing you've ever said. Crave. Crave. Crave is Canadian. Hey, Hulu for all you Americans. But, uh, so what do you guys think? Do you think that Dragon Ball is still like a living, breathing phenomenon here? Like it is in like us and Japan, or is it still more of a nostalgic throwback? I, I mean, I do know a lot of people in Canada who are still keeping up with it. I, I... It lasted a really long time in Canadian theaters to the movie, the yeah. recent yeah. movie. That yeah. movie was in theater in Canadian theaters for like two or three weeks. Yeah, we caught it yeah. like two weeks after two it. Two and a half weeks, I think, because yeah. we, we went on a Wednesday, so... Yeah. It was, yeah, I mean, I and... figured Canadian theaters is the first place it's going to leave, so... And it was it was pretty full for Resurrection F and and uh, Battle of the Gods. I remember when I went to see those, I went out to uh, a theater in Coquitlam to watch them, mm-hmm. the the big VIP one. And um, yeah, the, it was pretty well packed uh, for both showings of that. Uh, I think that the hype around Dragon Ball still still very much exists in Canada. 
not maybe to the same extent in the U.S. where it is airing on Toonami, but yeah. I I don't think that the the that wall is as high as it used to be. I think a lot of people are just tuning into it on Crunchyroll, like a lot more people than you would would expect, um, or on uh, Funimation streaming platform. Uh, if if they want to do that for the for the dub, mm-hmm. um, yes, I I as I understand it, Super is as, as popular as Dragon Ball's ever been. Mm-hmm. Really, yeah. Um, I, yeah, and you're right. It's definitely not as strong as the U.S. because we don't have that tsunami mm-hmm. thing. We don't have the people who don't go out of their way to stream stuff watching yeah. it. You know, they've got that separate market of people who use their televisions. It's more people um, than you think, <laughs> but. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, is they've got, like, a whole bonus market of people who just tune in because it's on TV but wouldn't go out of their way otherwise, and they like it. Um, But, yeah, I I still still think it's going strong in Canada, just not quite as strong. It could be better. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, the U.S. market's enough to to carry it forever, Um, considering, like, if you look on YouTube, every single episode that airs, there's a, there's, like... 10 Dragon Ball YouTubers who each put out a video about it and like yeah. a speculation video in between that. And they all get amazing views, you 100, know. 100, 200,000 views easy like With each episode. Yeah. Yeah, like... it's 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 insane how hyped people are about Dragon Ball still. Yeah. Just maybe that hasn't come to Canada as much as uh it is in the US. If I I think it's cuz of the tsunami thing personally. Mm-hmm. But that's like our only yeah. barrier is yeah. that people can't be reminded they have to even yeah. if it was on YTV, that would be something. Yeah. I mean, there is there is the Wow World channel that's going to be launching in April, and we still don't know what's going to be on that channel. But there's been like a lot of apparently they're looking. Cause, so okay, so going back to what I said before about Ocean doing those um, visual edits for Dragon Ball Kai, they also did their own dub of Dragon Ball Kai like eight years ago, reuniting most of those voice actors, and that dub it, apparently it was also financed by EV Group. But a lot has changed uh, since then. Toei pretty much has direct control over everything, and no one really knows why this was made or why it was never released uh, and why it was just put into a vault. Uh, but, you know, probably because they thought they could distribute it, and it turns out they didn't. That's my guess. Um, but apparently, uh, it's very likely that, even though Dragon Ball Kai is kind of an old news at this point, it might be showing up on that on that well world. Apparently, they are looking into trying getting that... Um, weird artifact of a lost dub it would be interesting be cool. i mean it would get mm-hmm. it would get them like international publicity if they got this weird old dub on there and i would hope that would lead to them getting super if that did happen um i was i was hoping that they would have some kind of programming announcement ready for the station before we did this episode but uh they're they're cutting it close we'll see maybe something will come up while i'm editing this which <laughs> maybe maybe they'll get the harmony gold dub of dragon ball i i now that you said that exists i like I I really want to see it, you know? Uh, so I think that wraps us up. Um, where can people find you guys online? Uh, uh, you can find me at youtube.com slash mother's basement, uh, where I do uh, videos about anime every single week. Uh, at least one, sometimes two. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at G0FFTHEW, a username that I really need to change, um, because it's uh, at Geoff but it's, it's, uh, and, uh, 
That's about it um, for my main social media accounts. And you can find me easiest on Twitter, uh, Tenlaid, T-E-N-L-E-I-D. That's where I post all my stuff. I'm a costlot who posts pictures of their costumes all day and their cats. That's about it. Kitties and titties. Kitties and titties. <laughs> okay. Kitties and titties. That is the... the the content of my stuff. And thanks for tuning in to Zonen Canada. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonencanada at gmail.com. Uh, the theme song is by Ultra Klystron and can be found on his album Packet Flood, and you can find that at his website, ultraclystron.com. Please subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or your podcast app of choice. If you do want to find more of the retrospectives I've done, Goldorak, The Bush Baby, Gundam Seed, Gundam Wing, all these other shows that have had some kind of uh, cultural impact in Canada, if you just go to zonin.ca, the main website for my podcast, you'll find them listed on the right-hand side. I recently interviewed Caitlin Berstow, Matthew Erickson, Raj Ramaya, uh, even older interviews like uh, PJ Phil Guerrero and Sugar from The Zone. You can find it all, again, on that uh, right-hand sidebar at zonin.ca. If you know anyone who might like this show, please recommend it to them. See you again.